Great to be here on this, what is today, Wednesday? <laughs> Kevin, BJ, and Ben, so much to get to on the show. We're talking a lot of NFL football with uh, reports, depending on who you follow, who you give credence to, that the Jags may be getting closer to hiring a head football coach. We'll talk some draft with Oliver Hodgkinson of the Pro Football Network. Uh, he's got a four-round mock draft out, some interesting decisions here. Uh, for the Jags and the Atlanta Falcons. Also, 330, Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Famer. Great player there for Kansas City Chiefs. Former fullback Tony Richardson will join us here this hour as well as Scott Strickland, head baseball coach at the University of Georgia, will join us. They're number 14 in the preseason baseball poll. That is out. Season begins coming up in mid-February. But, fellas, plenty to get to. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. Uh, on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio, we're also streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. You can also see us streaming live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, our YouTube channel. Uh, they're at ESPN Coastal. A lot of reports out there about the Jags. Some saying Byron Leftwich is going to be the next guy. Others quickly refuting, saying, oh, now the Jags are not there yet. Still some guys out there. Uh, Adam Schefter saying the Jags continue talking with the Bucks offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich. And Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus, amongst others, but are not close to a deal with anyone at this time per sources. Jags still haven't decided which way they'll go. Organization is still going through the process and figuring out. That is from Adam Schefter. Obviously, we talked to some folks last week, uh, been on the show, and said it could come pre-Super Bowl once teams start getting eliminated. Obviously, you didn't think Byron Leftwich would be uh, thrown out there this quickly because a lot of people, I think, thought the Tampa Bay would still be playing. Uh, here this week, but since they have been eliminated, obviously you have much more time and capability to uh, to extend talks with Byron Leftwich. Yeah, I think sometimes too you got to be able to decide. I mean, uh, Mr. Khan is going to have to decide: Do I want to go with the culture of the NFL, which is you know not hiring guys like Byron Leftwich? Let's just call it what it is, or do I want to do it for more of what the NFL is becoming? I want a head coach that not just can do X and O's. I want a head coach that can resonate with today's players. I want to I want a guy that's been in that locker room who understands what Trevor Lawrence is going through, being a being a uh, being a uh, you know. Uh, not, not just a number one overall pick, but a first-round pick. And a guy who has a proof of track record. I mean, BJ, me and you was going through Byron Left with uh resume as a coach. I mean, went from went from quarterback's coach at Arizona to interim offensive coordinator. And obviously you see what he's done uh with uh with his uh you know couple of years there with uh with the Bucks. Sometimes, you know, you know, and I, I know I, I talk about this a lot. Look, I appreciate Kevin, I appreciate BJ for you know giving me an opportunity to be, you know, uh, on the show. Um, I'm not on the show because I'm a black guy, but I should not not be on the show because I'm a black guy. Byron Leftwich is a black guy, right? That coaches football. And unfortunately, in today's NFL, we have a problem with, you know, I mean, like people say, oh, don't make this thing a race issue. Well, black people do not do it. And we don't make it race issues. It's the guys doing the hiring. So I'm just asking, if, Byron, if we are here to do the best qualified, if you just happen to be, you know, have a little melanin in the skin, what's wrong with it? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand it because – BJ, we didn't even know how good of a coach. You know, we thought we thought we thought he was at Pittsburgh. We thought he was actually uh, a coach. There. He was a player there. So, won the Super Bowl as a backup quarterback. Was a first round pick coming out of Marshall. Uh, by the way, it wasn't like he was at one of these big, you know, big time uh, schools. And now he, you see what he's doing um, in the coaching ranks. I think Byron Leftwich would be the best hire because he understands the culture of Jacksonville. He understands what the what your star quarterback is going through, going into his second year, and he's done it with I don't know with guys, you know, with guys like Kyler Murray. Now he get you know Tom Brady. So I've had a young quarterback. I've had the best quarterback to ever do it. I think Byron Leftwich would be the would be the call. But we'll see what uh I think Shaq Khan needs some positive publicity uh with this next hire. I think Byron Leftwich would uh 
I mean, he would meet all that, all those criteria. Oh, all that, it, no. Yeah, it'd be a great hire and mm-hmm. a guy that, that I, I think most Jaguars fans want. When yeah. you look at kind of message boards and blogs and, and social media, I think most Jaguars fans really want Byron Leftwich, who was the first-round pick of the Jaguars in 03. Yes, 03. I, I, I believe, uh, and you're talking about a guy that a couple of years ago helped the Bucks win the Super Bowl uh, uh, this past year, helped Tom Brady lead the league in passing yards and passing touchdowns. I mean, the production, his track record, his resume – it's great, and yes, we absolutely need more opportunities for for black coaches. And and this is these are opportunities that have been earned. Uh, Byron Leftwich is ready to be a a, a head coach. Clearly, uh, and I think it would be a I think it would be a great great hire. I mean, look, with all due respect to other candidates, uh, and I guess you've had a couple of interviews with the defensive coordinator uh, for the Indianapolis Colts now, who got a second interview. I think for a lot of uh, Jaguars fans, if it's not Leftwich, it'll be a disappointment. Uh, it'll it, it'll be a disappointment. So a coach that has clearly you know earned this opportunity uh, was already a guy that I think a lot of Jaguars fans really appreciated from his time as a player. Uh, but we need more opportunities for for black coaches, absolutely. And uh, it looked like with some of the reports earlier today that maybe this was about to be announced mm-hmm. that, that potentially we were on the horizon of this being announced. And then Kevin, as you said, sort of contrasting or I guess conflicting reports about where the Jaguars maybe might not be. Uh, at this point, I guess uh, in, anything could happen at any point. I mean, could happen during the next couple of hours, could be the next couple of days. I would imagine you want to get a head coach in before kind of the senior bowl and all that stuff starts, right? I mean, wouldn't that make sense just from a uh, just from an organizational standpoint? But, yes, Byron Leftwich would be a great hire for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, I mean, again, after what you've been through, uh, to me, you don't want to do a, a, a retread, right? I mean, you want to do a young, up-and-coming guy, who, no matter who it is. Uh, ben, I think Byron Leftwich, for all the reasons you said, would be a, a nice fit. Quarterback, played in Jacksonville, was successful in Jacksonville, uh, knows the environment in which you are playing there in Jacksonville, is a quarterback, so he relates to your franchise guy who you want to be around. Yeah, it would be great for Trevor for, Lawrence. For, for a long time, so I, I think for a lot of reasons, it may, it makes sense. Uh, and I've said that from the beginning, just a guy that, if for no other reason, and it's a guy that is young, is like, hey, he's going to get his chance to grow with this franchise. I think if you were to go out and get a guy who has already been a head coach, if you went well, then you kind of lose, I think you'll lose some of the energy uh, in the room a little bit. I think Urban Meyer was a little bit of a of a reach. It had a big name appeal, but I think a lot of people said, okay, it's a college coach who is not coaching the NFL. This is a, it's a risk, right? I mean, let's be honest, it's a risk. And it, people said the same thing about Nick Saban when he went to the NFL. For, it's a risk. It may work out. Maybe not. It, who knows? Cliff Kingsbury is a risk. Was not awesome in college. You hire him in the NFL. Who the heck knows what's going to happen? Uh, with, with this, Byron Leftwich played in the National Football League, has been a coach in the National Football League, has been successful as a coach in the National Football League uh, with the guys around him, and has been successful with your franchise as a player on the field. I think, to me, it makes a lot of sense to, uh, to give the guy – his first coaching job because I think if you were going to hire anybody, somebody the fans already know, has some like to me just a lot of things point to put some energy in your fan base with a young guy that can grow with your quarterback and and that seems to check a lot of boxes uh, for what can get you uh, going in that direction. Not to say that Byron Leffer is going to come in and lead you to mm-hmm. an AFC Championship mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. Again, there's only one goat and his last name is Brady, not Lawrence, until somebody else comes along and wins a whole bunch of Super Bowls. So. Uh, but can you win more than three games with Byron Leftwich? I mean, I think so. <laughs> I would hope so. Uh, so I mean, you won what two or three, and you were completely dysfunctional in uh, in twenty twenty one. So uh, I think it'll be interesting to see which way they go. Uh, but I think an, a young offensive guy who has been a part of the franchise before, to me, 
would at least, as a Jaguars fan, I'm not a Jaguars fan, but it would at least get me excited about the opportunity of what could happen with him as the head coach. Yeah, and uh, you know, you, you take a guy. Look, look who uh, Luca Byron leverage is. Uh, you know who he's uh, working under. Bruce Arians is a guy that understands about giving guys uh, opportunity. You think Byron Leftwich, you think of Ty Bowles. Uh, I think I think uh, Bruce Arians was one of the first guys um, to hire uh, a woman as uh, as one of his coaches on his staff. So he understands that kind of stuff doesn't leave you. Like when I think about, you know, I mean, who gave me an opportunity to show you what I mean? Um, when I was in Florida. Um, Mike Lockley was the running backs coach under Ron Zook. Well, when Mike Lockley got the head coaching job, you know, at Maryland, who did he bring with him? He brought Ron Zook back. So it's not as if cronyism is not always people that look like you for people that – no, no, no. Cronyism can be – I mean, who gave me a shot? So when you think about a Byron Leftwich, think about a guy who he's coached with or wants to coach that once I'm the head coach, I get to pick my staff. So think about how many guys he could potentially give opportunities to. But Byron Leftwich has a proven track record as a player and a coach. What else do you want? I mean, certain it's like coaching the SEC. We say, man, do they have some type of SEC ties? It's not just coaching the SEC. You got to be able to resonate with where you're coaching at, where you're living at, with the people in your area and things of that nature. I think Byron Leftwich has been, you know, look, he's down there in Tampa. He just comes back up to Jacksonville, and he's earned it. I mean, most most players that want to get into coaching say, I am I am ready to be a, a position a positions coach. For life, and there's nothing wrong with that. Most guys will not get a head coaching opportunity, period, because those are, you know, you're talking about 32 slots. So I do think BJ Kevin, I think the Byron level is just look, even if he's not the guy, he's still the guy for now. Like, if he doesn't pan out, that happens every year. But I think he should be in position to say he's not the guy as a head coach first before we, you know, because I think he's done all, I mean, he coached Tom Brady. What what well, not is only that better, again, better, you know? again the last two years, if you look at Byron Leftwich's resume, you have a Super Bowl championship. Jacksonville, in the history of your organization, you've gotten close to that, what, twice? Mm-hmm. Twice. So you have a guy that has won a recent Super Bowl as a play caller, as the offensive coordinator, and then this past year, or this season, still ongoing, I guess, Tom Brady led the the NFL in, in passing yards and yes. passing touchdowns. Yes. And if you're thinking about what's the what's who is the kind of Face of the franchise, the future of the fan. It's 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 uh, Trevor Lawrence, and you have to get a coach that Kevin, as you said, not only can develop Trevor Lawrence and can you know share what he shared with Tom Brady with Trevor, but he played. He played in Jacksonville. He was a first round pick in Jacksonville. He knows what Trevor Lawrence is dealing with, and he comes over having worked with Tom Brady. And Cam, you mentioned this yesterday or the other day, helped Tom Brady to the most statistically successful season he's ever had. So you have a young quarterback, you get the offensive coordinator for the Bucks who won a Super Bowl. Yes, I mean, be a great hire. Yeah, again, we'll see what happens. Uh, again, a lot still to play out with with this, but I, again, I think even if you just look across the league, guys who are listed as candidates, to me, he still makes the most sense. I mean, even if you want to say, well, hey, are we only going to look at minority coach? I, I think he's a better fit than D'Amico Ryan's. I think he's a better fit than Eric Bieniemy would be. I, I, I do, uh, simply for all the reasons that we talked about, uh, that he is familiar with. One of the, I won't say it's the worst because I think Cleveland's out, but it is one of the more losingest franchises. That's not even a word, but franchises in the NFL uh, because they have not been consistently successful. And so, neither was Tampa, by the way. Like when people no, say, I understand. Like, yeah, like, he, he's, that, that's another thing that people ain't looking at. Tampa isn't like a usual winner. It's not like, oh, they're here every year. No, I was in Tampa. I was in 2008. That was, you know, uh, uh, that was John Gruden's last year. All I'm saying is when you're doing that franchise that don't have a long tradition of success, because Miami is in a different category because yeah. they're the only under-15. But Tampa and Jacksonville, Tampa's one too. But it ain't like Tampa just miles and miles ahead of, you know, Jacksonville. I just think that sometimes a guy has to see, like, how it takes to build 
the franchise from the ground up. So, I mean, I, I think the viral leverage at the end of the day, uh, you know, is built for it. But like I said, we'll see if he gets a chance. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. We're talking uh, NFL football draft, obviously, on the top of everybody's mind. That's not still in the playoffs at this point. Oliver Hodgkinson, our Pro Football Network, will join us coming up in just a little bit. He did a four-round full mock draft. Uh, got some interesting choices for the Jags uh, there and the Atlanta Falcons. We'll break it down with him and how much can change over this process in the coming weeks. Also, Tony Richardson uh, will join us. Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Fame fullback. One of the greatest to uh, to wear that Chiefs uniform as well. He'll join us coming up in about 20 minutes. It's three and out all apart, all across. Good to have you back here on this Wednesday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben here on three and out. Glad you're making us a part of your day as uh, the NFL. We've got a couple conference championship games in the Super Bowl. Everybody else looking ahead to uh, the draft. Certainly in our area, uh, fellas, the Falcons in the top 10. Jags at number one overall again with some very important picks coming up here in the 2022 draft. And joining us, uh, draft analyst from the Pro Football Network, Oliver Hodgkinson, joins us here on 3 Now. Oliver, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you. Appreciate you coming on. Let's start uh, just a, as an overview here uh, in, in the draft. How deep is this? I know we're coming off a year where a lot of guys in college got super senior years and super junior years and chances to come back and play an extra year. How deep is this draft class just on raw talent alone? It's a great question because it feels like um, this is a draft class where people have, have already written it off as being not talented. Um, and a lot of that is to do with the quarterback position. You come off the back of a historic um, 2021 NFL draft at the quarterback position and you come into this class where I've used the word murky continuously over and over again to describe this 2022 NFL draft quarterback class. And it is, there's no way around it. There isn't a, a standout top guy. There's not the depth of, quarterback talent at the top of the field as there was last year. But overall, I think this draft class is is stellar. There's a lot of good wide receiver talent. This is a, it's a fantastic edge class. And, and I know the Falcons are a team that are perpetually looking for edge players. And, and this is a class which is absolutely rampant with edge talent. Cornerback talent, I think, is a, it's an underrated class for, for cornerbacks. There's four or five, maybe six guys who were potential first-round cornerbacks in this class as well. So I actually think it's a, it's a really talented class. Um, there's a lot more guys go back to school this year than I was expecting. Um, some big names return to school that I was hoping to see in this class. But um, overall, I think it's a deep class. I think it's a talented class. And there's plenty of talent out there for, for NFL teams that have got plenty of needs. Oliver, if you're Jacksonville at number one, how do you compare and contrast potentially an offensive tackle like Evan Neal to protect Trevor Lawrence versus uh, one of these edge rushers that uh, a lot of uh, people, it seems like the consensus is maybe uh, Hutchinson and Thibodeau are the top two players overall on big boards. How do you compare those options? Yeah, for me, I think whenever you invest in a talent like Trevor Lawrence, like the Jacksonville Jaguars did last year, you have to protect the guy. Um, it's as simple as that as far as I'm concerned. And, and yeah, there's great talent in Kaylon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson. They are undoubtedly two of the best. Incidentally for me, not even, neither of them is the, the top player on my um, 2022 NFL draft big board at this moment in time. But I think in terms of pure development for Trevor Lawrence, in terms of keeping him clean, you, you can't go wrong taking a guy like Evan Neal at the first overall pick. I think it's a smart thing to do. I, I, and for me, I don't understand... The Jags last year are in a position where they had to take Trevor Lawrence. You don't pass up on a guy like that. But I think if you're a franchise, and we're going to see this um, draft class with Pittsburgh, with Carolina, you need to ensure that your offensive line is in place, is solid, 
before you you even contemplate sticking a a, a a draftable quarterback behind that offensive line. So yeah, for me, the Jags they can take Evan Neal at number one. And I've seen Ike Mcquone who was a number one overall pick in a couple of mock drafts as well. That that wouldn't be upsetting. I think Evan Neal is the guy at number one. Um, and then you can I, I mentioned earlier the the edge class is deep. So in my latest mock draft, I got the Jags taking a, a um, edge player in the first pick of the second round. So this, that talent, you aren't going to get a guy like Evan Neal later on in the draft. So for me, that's it's a no-brainer for the Jags, but that doesn't always work out to be how NFL front officers see the see it playing out. Oliver, you got the Falcons taking Kyle Hamilton, the big-time uh, safety uh, for Notre Dame. What makes him special, and how 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 much better can he make a very, very young uh, Falcons uh, defense? It's a great question. I, I have got Atlanta taking, um, taking Kyle Hamilton in my latest mod draft. For me, he is the number one player in this class. You mentioned people talking about Thibodeau and, and Aiden Hutchinson. Kyle Hamilton, for me, is uh, there's not enough superlatives to describe what Kyle Hamilton is. I, I've called in various different pieces over the past few months. I've called him a freak. I've called him a unicorn. The guy is six foot four, 219 pounds, the best part of, and he, he has everything that you need to marshal a defense from the secondary, you know? The guy can come downhill with ferocity um, and lay a hit. He's such a physical player. Because of that size, it allows him to be physical against the run. He is so athletic, side-to-side range. You saw it early on in this season. The thing with Kyle Hamilton that I think a lot of teams might struggle with is the injury this year. What are they getting? How is he going to come back from that? For a player that whose athleticism is such a big part of his game to then come back from a a leg injury is, is going to be interesting. But side-to-side range, you saw it in the early games. FSU, um, two, two great plays on the ball, showcasing his range. He's got those incredible ball skills as well. And um, just an, an intelligent guy. You don't get to Notre Dame without having a level of intelligence behind you. And, and Carl Hamilton showcases that on the field. Yeah, I, like I said, that, I, I don't think there's enough words to describe the uniqueness that he is. I, I've seen people who have been doing this longer than I have say that he's the very best safety prospect that they've ever scouted. And you think about Derwin James, you think about Minka Fitzpatrick in recent draft classes. That's saying something about Carl Hamilton. And I completely agree with it. It's so difficult to even find a floor in his game. The big thing, like I say, is, is what he, how he comes back from the injury. It seems like, uh, Oliver, that with that, obviously safety, I mean, if it's the best player on your board, take him. Uh, but the Falcons have so many needs. Is that just simply, hey, he's the best guy out there, go take him. As you said, could be the number one guy uh, on your board. And just judging kind of how uh, you had the Falcons in this four-round mod draft, still plenty of talent, as we talked about at the lead-off show, to, to, to fill other needs later in the draft. Would that simply be just take the best player available at that spot, despite the fact that Matt Ryan got hit more than anybody in the league this year? Yeah, this is it. You know, you mentioned it. The Atlanta Falcons have got so many needs. They are a team where you can't pinpoint a need um, or two that is is a priority over any any of the others. There's so many needs. You take the best player available. You you want to almost ultimately rebuild that defense. And and we mentioned before they're a team that are perpetually looking for pass rushes. We could go and get a guy like um, George Kalaftis at the eighth overall pick. You could also get a guy like Kinsley Enigbari in the second round, which I, I did for the Falcons here. You cannot get a player that is going to completely overhaul your defense from the second position like Kyle Hamilton is going to do. And and the, the the rest of the talent 
down the draft plays into the Falcons' needs hands. Like we say, there's plenty of edge rushers. Two second round picks, you can go and address that off uh, that defensive line. Um, offensive line, there's you know plenty of offensive talent, um, offensive tackle talent later on. Running back, I, I think is a huge need for the Falcons. Um, there's plenty of running backs you're going to pick up on the second day, maybe the third day. So yeah, to, to get a game changing talent like Kyle Hamilton at pick eight, the best player, like I said, the best player on the board. If you can get him at eighth overall, that's it's a steal for me. And you do have the Falcons uh, in your four round mock draft taking a running back, Kenneth Walker, the third out of Michigan State. How do you, I, I guess. Uh, address the philosophy that some have don't draft a running back too high. Do you think second or third round is okay? And where do you think Walker ranks amongst the uh, running backs in this class? He's one of the best. There's no doubt about it. Um, I, again, we talked about the quarterback class. This running back class isn't um, isn't a class that has a guy like Najee Harris who went in the first round, like Travis Etienne who went in the first round. However, again, still great talent. Isaiah Spiller, for me, is the top running back on my board. The Brees Hall is a, an absolute outstanding, productive college football running back out of Iowa State. And then I think Kenneth Walker is the third best running back in this class. There's there's a lot of guys clutching at his heels as well, but I think he's the third best running back in the class. He should. It, it's a difficult one to call because until free agency plays out and you see what happens with um, teams addressing needs in free agency, you don't really know until then how the board is going to fall. So you could have two running backs going in the second round. You could have three, four running backs, depending on what teams need, how they've addressed those needs in free agency. But right now, when I do my mock drafts, I do it based on the needs that they have right now. And I could see Kenneth Walker fall into the third round just based on the, the, the needs that a lot of teams have. We, we asked a load of people what they on social media what they thought um, they shouldn't draft in the 2022 NFL draft. And nearly every fan base except the Miami Dolphins were like, oh, no, don't draft a running back. We don't need a running back. Um, the Falcons, you know, Cordarrelle Patterson has been an absolute sensation this season. Mike Davis hasn't been all that. Quadri Allison isn't, you know, all that. So I, I do think it's a position of need, but it's a position of need that you can address in the second day, maybe even the third day. Well, Oliver, I mean, if, you, if you're a GM, do you draft a need or do you draft best player available? For me personally, I think you, it depends on your circumstance. And free agency is a lot of it. It depends what you are looking for. Um, for me, I do the mock draft based on need. Um, but if, it depends on the, the talent that's there at the time. Because if you've got, you know, we use Kyle Hamilton as a reference point. But any of these sort of outstanding players at their positions, when they start falling, a guy like Tyler Linderbaum, for example, who I've got as a top 10 talent in this class, if he's still knocking around at the back end of the first round and you're a, um, you're a team whose offensive line maybe doesn't need a start a centre, but you need someone who's going to overall your over, overall offensive line, Tyler Linderman, you've just got to take him. So it very much depends who's there at that time um, and who you can take advantage of. Oliver, you, you talked about quarterbacks. It's not an overwhelming quarterback class. We know teams are going to reach. They're going to get excited. They're going to... You know, talk themselves into making a play. Who, in your estimation, is a guy that actually is good in this quarterback class and not just won't be talked up, but actually could be a multi-year starter out of this class and not maybe just a career backup guy? It's a great question because of all these quarterbacks, two of them have got real elite potential as far as I'm concerned in terms of the physical tools to be a long-term starter in the NFL. So you look at Malik Willis who for me is one of the most exciting 
entertaining quarterback prospects in this class. The arm strength is unbelievable. You know, it's elite arm strength. And it's not just to being able to throw a ball 70 yards down the field. The kid can put zip on it, velocity, whatever you want to call it, effortlessly almost. So he brings that. He's got the mobility, the creativity that the NFL is trending towards in the quarterback position. So he's got those elite physical tools. Same thing with Matt Corral. The arm is there. The um, mobility, he's less creative, more of a gritty runner than Malik Willis is, but he can still get it done with his uh, with his legs. So in terms of elite physical traits that translate to the NFL, those two guys have got him. But then you look at more well-rounded propositions. I think Kenny Pickett is very solid. There isn't a, an area where he's elite, but he's very solid. And for a team that needs a guy to come in straight away and perform, that's maybe what they're looking for. I actually said the other day on a show that I believe Western Kentucky's uh, Bailey Zappi has the potential to be the longest, um, have the longest NFL career and potentially the best NFL career out of all these quarterbacks because his level of intelligence, how he reads the field is elite as far as I'm concerned. And the numbers are gaudy this year due to the offense that Western Kentucky had plays with. But Bailey Zappi, I think, transcends that system in terms of how he will translate to the NFL in terms of that intelligence. His arm isn't anywhere near the, in the strength and velocity of Malik Willis or Sam Howell or Macaral, but it's sufficient to succeed in the NFL. And with that football intelligence, he doesn't make mistakes. He reads the game so well. He's got a little bit of mobility to, to manoeuvre in the pocket well, escape pressure when he needs to. He's not a running quarterback by any stretch of the imagination, but he's good enough to um, to to be elusive in the pocket and, and and you know scramble for a first down here and there. Which is is you look at what Mac Jones has done for New England. You know, the landing the landing spot is the key with any of these quarterback prospects and any quarterback prospect in any class. The landing spot is key. But I think Bailey Zappi, if he gets on a team where he's got an offensive line in front of him. Um, that will protect him. He could have the longest NFL career out of any of these guys. Certainly a name we'll be uh, watching for moving forward. Oliver Hodgson, draft analyst, Pro Football Network. Our guest, Oliver, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. No, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out of the Southern Pigskin. Great to be here on this Wednesday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you're with us here on 3 and Out NFL playoffs. Some surprising twists and turns last weekend. We are down to four teams. In the NFL playoffs, Kansas City Chiefs amongst them. Pat Mahomes and company with a just remarkable finish to that Chiefs-Bills game. And joining us here to talk about that, he's a Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Famer, a legend in Kansas City. And Ben, I'll just say you refer to him as the truth. Tony Richardson uh, joins us here on uh, on 3 and Out. Tony, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, man, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for, uh, for having me on. It's a, it's a beautiful, balmy, 30-degree day in New York City. So uh, thanks for having me on today. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm glad we don't, we're not uh, trying to, to brave through that, but hey, we appreciate you coming on. Kansas City, man, uh, Pat Mahomes, I know that's a football-crazed town, but uh, you're down, and in 13 seconds, you go down and put points on the board and then end up winning it uh, in, in overtime. Just unbelievable. What can you say about uh, kind of the, the, the confidence and perseverance of that Kansas City football team? Yeah, I think that's what makes them dangerous because – they don't flinch. You know, I was on the phone, me and my sister, she's a, a retired military living in North Carolina. And so we watched the game literally from the second half all the way to the end on the phone. And I'm thinking like 13 seconds. I've seen a lot of things in football. 
I was like, yeah, I'm not quite sure. And then sure enough, they go straight down the field, two plays, field goal range. And then once they kick the field goal, I told my sister the game, the game is over. And that's what gives you confidence. If you have a quarterback and a tight end and receivers and things like that, that know any time you get into a situation, there's always an opportunity. That makes that team dangerous because now they got a lot of confidence. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be tough for a lot of people to deal with. Tony, Pat Mahomes still a relatively young quarterback with all that he's accomplished. What, what what impresses you the most about his game? Well, I think the biggest thing is, and they talk about it all the time, is his, his arm angles and the way the things that they always teach you. And obviously I've never played quarterback and never coached a quarterback, but the things they teach you, um, never roll right, throw left, no, never throw across your body. Like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, yes, great throw. He can do that uh, in rhythm, and he does it with confidence. And, you know, there's been times where it gets into a little bit of trouble, but I think the thing that I probably have been most impressed with this year is early on during the season, you know, he was pressing, he was pressing. He went back, looked at himself, evaluated himself, and now he's taking what the defense is giving him. And the guy, he's just, I mean, Kansas City right now is upside down, having a young quarterback like that. And he's, uh, he's the face of the league for a reason. Tony, obviously you played on some incredible Chiefs teams. You look at, I mean, we were talking about it uh you know, when you first, you know, when I when I was talking to you on the phone, I mean, you go from Tony Gonzalez to a Travis Kelsey. You talk about the teams you played with in Kansas City. This is a, I mean, for people who don't know Kansas City, they love they Chiefs. When we played you guys one time, y'all were the first team I ever seen y'all introduce the whole freaking team. Like, they introduced the whole team. Just talk about how what you guys started back in your time to see it kind of coming to the forefront now with guys like Patrick Mahomes, you know, Tyreek Hill and company. Yeah, you know, it's uh, and that's the thing that we always wanted to accomplish um, when I came to Kansas City in 1995, obviously we had Marcus Allen, Derek Thomas, um, you know, uh, Mr. Mr. Hunt, the late Mr. Hunt was alive. And that was the thing we always wanted to do was to be able to p- present Mr. Hunt his trophy back. So when I got there, it was defense, defense, defense. You know, Derek Thomas, Neil Smith, Dan Sally Moore, and it was just an incredible atmosphere. And then things started to turn. We drafted Tony Gonzalez, as you mentioned. Uh, I'm telling you, if I was starting a football team right now, always start with a tight end. Obviously, you know that. Um, but, yeah, just to see the, the, the fans and to be able to see um, – and I was actually uh, – with Donnie Edwards, um, the commissioner actually took us down two years ago when the Chiefs actually finally won that game to get to the Super Bowl. And just to see the smile on Clark Hunt's face and Norman Hunt, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a town that's been starving for, 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 for a winner. And now they had a winner for a long time, so it's exciting. And I still got my Chiefs stuff everywhere, and uh, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's been pretty exciting. Tony Richardson joining us here on uh, 3 Now, Tony, the Chiefs got the Bengals this weekend. Might the Bengals be the most dangerous team left in the playoff simply because they literally have nothing to lose. They never won a playoff game for 30 years, got one, got another one. I mean, it's literally house money. Are they the most dangerous team? A hot hot team, confident team, and certainly can play the underdog underdog role the rest of the way. Yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing. You know, obviously when you get to the playoffs, there's no such thing as trap games. Um, unfortunately, I've been on the other side of the coin, 13-3 and three at home, two games to win. And I remember 1997, we lost to the Colts and, you know, number one defense in the league. Never thinking it can happen. So the biggest thing is, you know, Kansas City needs to just, you know, play their game, understanding these young kids from Cincinnati can flat out ball. Um, you know, the quarterback last week got sacked, what, seven to nine times and got back up and still, you know, still, you know, throwing the ball in the teeth of the defense. And so it's definitely a dangerous team. Um, I think Arrowhead, the crowd, you know, may be able to uh, rattle those boys a little bit because uh, it's an atmosphere. It's going to be like none other. So I'm excited. It's going to be by far last week was the best playoff football week I think I've ever seen in my life. So it was. Uh, I hope we get two good games on Sunday. 
wanted to ask you about the evolution of the fullback position because uh, of the teams left, you have some really talented, uh, dynamic fullbacks. For as much as teams spread the football out, and yes, you're going to throw for 300 yards, uh, you have to be able to convert the goal line. You have to be able to convert short yardage. Talk about the value of uh, the fullback, Tony, if you can, in, in today's NFL. Yeah, you know, and it's funny. And I tell people all the time, because it was like, oh, the fullback position is dead. The fullback position is dead. And I said, you know what? When the playoffs start, the weather starts to change, watch how the fullback uh, comes back to play. And like who's check, I've, I've reached out to him a couple times, just let him know how much I impressed with his game. Um, it's, it's just one of those things. And even from Kansas City standpoint, even though they do that RPO, the plays in which they, in some of those formations, it's the same thing. It's just different people lined up there. When you have Travis Kelsey motioning into the backfield and, you know, throwing it out, and the homes is at the fullback position. So those things actually happen. Um, you know, so for me, I, I don't think the fullback position is dead. I think when teams understand when you need to get that first down, when you need to run the ball, when you need to win the game, then that's when they dig out the old fullback. <laughs> Tony, I mean, how, how, I mean, when you talk about the last four years, obviously, uh, four AFC championship uh, appearances, when you talk about this team as a whole, they was able to, you know, uh, get that defense right with Tyron Matthew and coming to Chris Jones and coming to you. Look at what uh, Patrick Mahomes is doing. I mean, how long, as long as they keep trying to do their best to keep everybody together, I mean, uh, they should be a usual suspect, not just in the playoffs, but competing for Super Bowls for years to come. Which is absolutely uh, a great, great point, which is absolutely crazy. You think about, like you said, four AFC championship games. If they're able to go to the Super Bowl this year, three Super Bowls in a row. I mean, that's. I mean, and, and like this, like you said, it's such a young nucleus. Um, you know, obviously, I'm pulling for Eric Bieniemy to potentially get a head coaching job. He was my running back coach when I was with the Vikes. Um, but even through that, you know, you know, you still and obviously everything knows that everyone knows it starts with that quarterback position, and you have the skill positions and guys are just it's plug and play. You know, you get Pringle in there, all of a sudden you're like, wow, where did this guy come from? You get Hartman in there, where you come from? We know Tyreek Hill, his feet are moving so fast. Sometimes I don't even think he can even realize how fast he feels. He's the fastest guy in the league. So it, they're doing some great things. And week in and week out, man, I, I'm very surprised and very impressed. When they get to the red zone, no team has been able to stop them because they do so many different things. And like you said, Chris Jones and, you know, you got Clark, you got all them boys, man. So it's, it's a team that, you know, they're built to win for the next at least four to five years. Tony Richardson joining us here on three and out. Tony, what's it going to take for us to bring the fullback back? Like, what what happened? When when's it coming back? Well, I tell you what, I uh, my last time touching the football was 2011, so I know I'm not coming back. So I can definitely <laughs> see that. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I think it's, it's it's a different game, and I got a lot of my boys now who are actually coaching, you know, college ball and coaching in the NFL, and it's hard to even recruit fullbacks or even evaluate fullbacks because the running backs aren't really asked to do that because now the RPOs and all those different things and there's really no college teams that are really running the off formation. But, I still, you know, they're still trying to throw that tight end in there, which, you know, there's no offense, but, you know, it just takes a different mindset to go in there. But I, I think eventually, like, when you see Luchek, like, to me, like I said, he's arguably the best fullback, uh, not necessarily still in the playoffs, but definitely the best fullback in the league. And, you know, more teams are going to start to see what the 49ers are doing because that, that's just smash mouth football. Uh, looks like it's trick football, but it's not. They're coming straight downhill. Obviously, a lot of motion and things like that. So, hopefully, um, you know, one day I'll be able to look back like, man, I play fullback. And the little kids are like, man, what's a fullback? I'm like, you know what? It was a, it's like a dinosaur that we used to exist, but, you know, we still, we still, we're still around a little bit. Uh, finally, Tony, you have an incredible resume on the field, but off the field, I know you've done a lot of community and service work. 
How important of a priority has that been for you uh, throughout your life to uh, to uh, give time to others? Yeah, that's, that's what it's all about for me. I mean, anyone knows my story. My dad is a military man, 32 years, Vietnam veteran, Purple Heart, and I was born in Germany. Um, and all I, all I saw in my life was my dad and my parents just giving and giving and giving and service and service and service. And, you know, first thing you do when you get to Kansas City, Carl Peterson, we have a sign our contract, and you have uh, you had to do five uh, community service events. And I would just ride the coattail of, you know, Derek Thomas and Neil Smith and, you know, Rich Gannon and all those guys and just kind of see the different things they were involved in. And all of a sudden you do five and you're like, oh, man, I did five in uh, a couple weeks. <laughs> and so you just want to get back out in the community. And Kansas City is such a close-knit community that all the players want to serve. Most all the players had charities and foundations. And that's, that's something I still carry over into my adult life now. Tony Richardson, our guest here on 3 and Out. Tony, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Anytime, man. Thanks so much for calling me. Anytime you guys need me, I'll be right here in New York freezing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's nice and boy. Come visit us down the coast a little bit. It's, it's a little warmer down here. We appreciate it. Uh, Tony Richardson joining us uh, here on 3. Now, we got more to come all across the Southern BJ and Ben. They did it again. Who? Georgia and Alabama. Georgia beat the Tide again. Oh, oh. And I'm not talking about on uh, SEC Network. Christian, who's your favorite Georgia basketball player? I'll wait. <laughs> favorite Georgia basketball player plays for Duke. Yes. Oh, but Georgia. But Tom Crean lost. He's got to defend himself. Right, He's go got to defend himself. I'm not. I'm not saying I know any Georgia basketball players. I'm just saying I don't care about college basketball. Oh, so don't that's lump fair. me in as a Duke fan. I just. That's I, fair. Like uh, Kevin's really intelligent son, Rhett said the other day. Only thing we care about on this show: college football and Braves baseball, got baby. It. it is. He was fed those answers by who? Yeah. Christian. I'm pretty sure he was told <laughs> yeah, to say yeah. that, but yeah. He was getting fed those those answers. But That's yeah, a good win. They needed Tom it. Tom Green, 82-76. Yes, they needed it. They were winless in conference play. Uh-huh. I mean, they needed- Are you saying if you're a Georgia fan, you just want to go as bad as possible and go a new direction? It didn't matter. Okay. No, they, they, it did matter. You don't want to go win. I mean, you want to have some success. I'm I not- I. Yeah, I'm not saying they're going to the big dance, but but look, you take it. Oh, they could if they win the conference right. championship. Right, I, mean, I, I know how it works, but I, I'm saying Alabama was in the top 25, what, last week? What if they pulled off, <laughs> was it was it Tubby Smith or Dennis Felton was the coach when they went yeah. dead last to winning the SEC there when it was at the Georgia Dome yeah, I mean, slash look, over at it, Georgia it, Tech? Was it, was it, what, that's the 30 for 30? When that's, that's what they were talking about? Yeah, and I mean in the SEC, listen, Auburn almost lost last night to to Missouri. Can't can't handle being after being number one in the country for the first time ever in the AP poll. They did win. That is the Kevin Thomas. All I'm saying is, it's easy. You know, if you get off to a bad start, you're look credit to the dogs. Played Mm -hmm. Alabama. That's a fringe top twenty-five team. You got the dub. You needed it. That's that's a good win. At the end of the day, they got they got the dub, and I like how Chris was like, listen, listen, listen. Don't don't come at me like. Christian said he roots for the dogs through and through. I don't got to know who on the basketball team. I just figured out who the coach. You and Kevin have was. both made jokes in the last week about Georgia football fans. No, it's not. No, it's not. I'm not going to call anybody's name out, but I know big time. You know, uh, Georgia Bulldog football fans that when basketball season comes around, they play as. Oh, Duke! Duke is going. They're going to be. They're going to be good this year. This Todd, that, that would be the ultimate. Does Todd, Todd Gurley wear North Carolina Tar Heel stuff? No, Duke. Oh, he likes, where's Duke? So he he is fully embracing the embodiment of being a Georgia fan. I played at Georgia, well, I mean, it's, it's like a Duke basketball. basketball. Player that's, that fully embodied Georgia <laughs> That's true. We got, <laughs> we got take three to get to when we come back. Also, David Ortiz, 
the lone inductee to baseball's Hall of Fame. We'll get to that and more coming up next hour, three and out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio, streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com. Good to have you here, three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network, Kevin BJ and Ben. Take a look at the best early season college football games coming up here in 2022. Also, David Ortiz, your lone entrant into baseball's Hall of Fame so far here in 2022. There will be the Veterans Committee. Potentially, you could see some more guys uh, getting put in there. But as of right now, David Ortiz, the lone inductee upcoming to baseball's Hall of Fame. We'll discuss that coming up in just a little bit. But first, it's 4 o'clock. Let's take three here on 3 and Out. All right, fellas. Gronk says he would retire if forced to decide right now. Is he the greatest tight end of all time? I'll answer after you. You already listen. BJ, me and you go back and forth all the time. We will start something that, you know, it's probably something small that ends up becoming something big because we won't just let it go. There are certain things you when it comes to when it comes to the tight end position, I didn't think I would see somebody that would impact the game like a Tony Gonzalez, like a Shannon Sharp. Uh, like a Ozzie Newsome, like a you know, uh, but I I, ju- I just think that when you think about like Gronk, people talk about Gronk like he's not a tight end, like he's a like he's a quarterback or a running back. Yes, he is the greatest. I know he got his commercials now saying you don't give him out his stats saying, well I'm special. Well he is, and the thing about it is he did it he did it his way. Like Gronk, I mean when you talk about postseason touchdowns, I think he got more than uh than Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. Him and uh, him and uh, Tom Brady. I think they're the best duo in the freaking postseason. When you talk about regular season, he gonna have on the offensive lineman team issue cleat, but he's gonna go out there and get it done. So yes, the resume speaks for itself. The impact speaks for itself. I mean, they did a thirty for thirty or ESPN Films called the Year of Gronk. I'm just saying. I mean, and he's a one name superstar. So yes, Gronk is the greatest. All he can do now is add to his greatness. But yes, he's the greatest tight end to ever do it. Yeah, and Shannon Sharp certainly right there, up there. Yes. But but I I do think when you think about just now, the, Travis Kelsey is coming. Well, maybe, but, but we'll see the postseason success. The, yes. you know the consistent moments, uh, not just you know huge plays in the Super Bowl, but conference championship games, the playoffs. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's Gronk too. I mean. Isn't he really waiting on Tom Brady to decide what he's going to do? Well, yeah. I mean, if I'm well, Gronk, well, well, I'm not, I'm not the playing Brady. For the he's, a, he's only played for Brady. That's right? what I'm no, saying. No, the it greatest is move in, in, in uh, the greatest move ever in sports is Tom Brady. So Tom Brady leaves and goes to Tampa Bay. Gronk um, gets traded. Was supposed to get traded to the Lions, and Gronk said, "Quote: Well, if I get traded to the Lions, I quit. I'm not going to the Lions." So he said, "I'm retiring," which makes his contract void. And then when Tom Brady goes over to Tampa Bay, so listen, he makes a <clears throat> great decision. He's the greatest decision maker of all time. Just well, play well, for well, the well. best quarterback. Hey, well, Ke- Kevin, listen, listen, Kevin. Nobody, nobody's gonna get mad when people say, "Hey, man, who you play when you play for the Braves?" Or well, I play with Freddie Freeman. The whole crew, yeah. I mean, nobody, no, don't don't get mad at me because I get to play with some of the greatest to ever. Do it. Gronk just happened to be the greatest, getting passes from the greatest. You know, I mean, I played with Steve McNair, right? I played with Vince Young. You don't get to pick them, and I love them both. But come on, you know, V.Y. to let you know. You know, your boy was open on that last game, you know? What? <laughs> what? I'm just that, saying. Was, was that the play against the, the Chargers? <laughs> when Antonio Gilardi <laughs> was covering you? I was asking. Whoa, let's call it what it is. Let's call it what it is. You got game planned against on huh? special teams in college. You saw it, right? They got take to prove it. No, check this out. No, listen, listen. But they had Cromartie on you. This is this how far back it was when I played. Back when I played, after the game, after, you know, now they got the little tablets on the side. You can see it, you know, in real time. We had the little... 
they had LeDrons. You can see it. You go through and see LeDrons, right? So, you know what? We in the playoffs. It was all go, right? The first read and all goes every time is the tight end. I don't care who you are. I just happen to be the tight end in the playoffs. Huh. Not only was I open, <clears throat> my defender fell down. He fell down. At the end of the play, you know, he got sacked. We come to the sideline. <clears throat> Norm Child said, why don't you look at Drew? He goes, hey, dog, Drew went over now. They give him. That's what he <laughs> was said. Was that your bench? Yeah, that, that's me why. True went over now. He went over. He like, then he goes, True, you went open. And, he, and I, I didn't say nothing. They get, listen, listen. They give him the thing. He looks at it and goes, hey, True, dog, where your defender at, dog? He, he says, quote, he's not on the, he said he's not on the drawing. I said, he fell down. <laughs> So all I'm saying is, oh, I'm not saying I would have taken. We're not getting Vince on again. I'm not saying I would have taken 80. I'm saying I would have ran a little bit BJ, but I did get hit so hard that my 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 top lip was looking like Professor Clumps was on the first uh the Professor. I got I, and I got hit by Antonio Camardi. So whenever I see him, if it's any furniture in the, in the room, it's gonna be moved. Just so you know. <laughs> I don't know how to continue for that. Moving along, take two. The Clippers just had the second highest comeback in NBA history, overcoming a 35-point deficit to beat the Wizards. How does that even happen? How, yeah, do, you, is, how do you come to even own a a record like that? This is this has, apparently somebody sucked even yeah, more than that. This has <laughs> nothing to do with the Clippers. This has nothing to do with the Clippers. This yep. is all about the Wizards. Come on. How do you do this? And. I, I think they were up 35 with like a minute left in the second quarter. They were up more than 30 at halftime, right? So it's not like, I don't know, a weird thing where you give up, uh, you know, 40 points yeah. in the first quarter and score like eight. No, it was it was about the midway point, and you're down 35 points, and you lose. That's absolutely incredible. I don't know how to explain that. I, I don't. I mean, you understand that the that, that, that teams go cold shooting. But in the NBA, I mean, you get to the foul line a good bit. I mean, mm-hmm. rebounds. I mean, just like the time it takes to get up and down the floor, you would think that would be hard to do. That's incredible. And to me, less about the Clippers. I mean, credit the Clippers. Mm-hmm. They said, we're not done. And I think there was a quote. I was reading the story. I can't remember which player it was, but said, yep, we, we got down 35. I looked around and said, got them right where we want them. And came back and won. So, I, look, credit the Clippers. But you give up a 30 five-point lead in mm. basketball? I mean, I, I have no idea. My answer to the question is I have no idea. Well, number one, it shows that whoever playing for the uh, Wizards, if that's not screaming, I'm trying to get the hell up out of here. Nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing screams more. Bradley Bill trying to get up out of here. They are wasting Bradley Bill's talent. He need to get up out of watching. But the Clippers owe this one because this is the same Clippers team I, I think last year, a couple of years ago. I think they were losing by like 60. I think they end up losing Was by like the 40. One? They lose to Dallas. And, 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 and the thing is, listen, listen, listen. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm just saying, like, Doc Rivers is somewhere saying, y'all thought I was the problem, right? Y'all thought I was the problem when I was in L.A., right? What you got to say now? I know we lost. I know we was up 3-1 and lost. But since then, we've lost. They've lost by, what, 56? That's what – it's the NBA, and it shows some pride. Like, if you're the Wizards, you say, hey, fellas, let's not blow this. Let's, let's find a way to get this done. Here's my question. At what point do you get concerned? Like, if you're on the floor and you're looking around, you're like, all right, they, they trimmed it down to 25. All right, they trimmed it down to 20. At what point are you like, no, no, at what point do you look at the coach and say, call a timeout? Like, call a timeout. Oh, Cam said, no Kawhi, no Paul. That's Jordan. embarrassing. 
You don't even got the superstars with the Clippers. What? Listen, nothing screams, dude. This ain't. I this mean, ain't we're enough. only up about fifteen. I'm looking, going. We got to figure something out. I'm, I mean, but I mean, I'm we just saying, you up something. about thirty-five. I, I get, you know, you hit a couple of threes. Somebody get an and one. You start looking around. If every player's looking around, like, dude, who gonna stop him? What? That ain't Kawhi over there. Kawhi. <laughs> well, last time we seen Kawhi on film, he was probably doing something he shouldn't have been doing. We ain't gonna, we ain't gonna talk about. You ain't seen the video of Kawhi Leonard? Yeah. Somebody put a, you know, they was they was a home game and you know Kawhi ain't playing. And let's just say Kawhi was uh he was putting something in something to do something with it. That's all I'm gonna say. I'm not gonna say what he was doing. But and, and, but not only did he not look confused, he like this, man, get the camera off me, man. Did I just tell you? <laughs> so, but no, 35 points, that's once again, I know we're gonna talk about David Ortiz. Kevin don't like David Ortiz, not because he didn't get in the Hall of Fame, no, no. Because he like he is he is promoting laziness. Right? <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then, <laughs> is that a quote? Exactly no, 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 no. But BJ, once again, we keep going back to this. Why is it so hard to box out and rebound? Like, why? Stop looking at the path of the ball. And you need to get Torian Prince in there to give a lesson yeah. on no, rebound. No, no, no. Go, go, no, go, go back. Listen, go back. Go back to the last dance. The other part on there when Dennis Robinson said, it go this way. Or it, go, it go that way. Like, I'm just looking at. Rebound, people. It is a lost Art, rebound the ball. 35 points, that's ridiculous. That's why you're the Wizards. Uh, we're moving along. Take three. Which is more likely next season? Tom Brady is the quarterback of the Bucks, or Aaron Rodgers the quarterback of the Packers? A lot of people think despite all the bad blood, he might actually end up in Green Bay again. Yeah, a couple of days ago I might have had a different answer, but I think it's Aaron Rodgers with, with Green Bay now. It just seems like. Tom Brady had the quote saying something like, I have to make a family decision, and it's not just about me. And mm-hmm. that kind of opens the door, at least possibly, could this be could this be it? I, I don't think it is. But then I saw Aaron Rodgers came out and said, or indirectly referenced, but I get franchise tagged or something like that. And I, I don't know that I feel great about either. I mean, for the longest time, the rumors have been Aaron Rodgers, and I'm not saying from you know, official sources, but just like people speculating have been, oh, Aaron Rodgers is going to go to Pittsburgh and it's going to be with the Steelers. Uh, So who knows how real that is. But at this point, I guess given that at the very least, I I assume we know Aaron Rodgers is going to play football next year. We don't know if Tom Brady is going to play football. So because of that, I will say more likely that Aaron Rodgers is with Green Bay. Yeah, I'll go with Aaron Rodgers as well. Aaron Rodgers is a diva. Let's just call it what it is. I mean, he, he... he has to be, he has to make some type of waves. I mean, he's on you know he's on podcasts and all kind of stuff. I mean, I get it. But BJ and Kevin, I mean, one has dealt with him his whole career, so you're used to him. I'm used to Aaron. This year he grew his hair out and got married and all kind of stuff. I mean, and the other guy is 44, going to be 45 years old, and you just don't know if he you know he has kids that he spent his whole career want to be able to be a dad and a husband, all these different things, which is cool. I think it's going to be Aaron Rodgers because. I'm sorry, Jordan Love. Green Bay tolerates you. They, they they do not want you out there next year. And that front office is going to have to sit down with Aaron Rodgers, saying what they did with Brett Favre, and say, Aaron, what? We're sorry. We shouldn't have said what we said about you publicly. We meant it, but we shouldn't have said it out loud. You are a lot to deal with, dude. A lot. But you the, be- you the-, but you the best option we have. You're one of the best quarterbacks to ever do it. And... We want to try to have another Super Bowl run. So, for that, I'm, I'm going to go with Aaron Rodgers back with Green Bay. Don't think he's going to anything in the offseason. You know, we're going to probably see him in, you know, I mean, you know, somewhere in some island, somewhere jumping off a, a huge cliff saying, I, I see you in, uh, you know, first game of the year. But I think it's got to be Aaron Rodgers at this point. He's still got a lot left in the tank. 
That's take three. I, I agree with you guys, by the way. Probably going to be Aaron Rodgers. I think Tom Brady, again, the recent comments makes you think that maybe it is just I'm, I've done all I can. I mean, he's been hitting that mark. He's already done all he could do three, four years ago. But I feel like Aaron Rodgers probably more likely to be in Green Bay. We got more to come. We'll talk about David Ortiz since I got called out. Apparently, I <laughs> I, I said he promotes laziness. I, I don't know if I've ever said that. Get out there. Get out we'll there. Come, we'll, we'll come back and talk about it next here on 3 and Good to have you back, three and out here on this Wednesday. Glad you are with us. Baseball Hall of Fame, just one new member. Going to be inducted this summer, at least at this point. David Ortiz gets elected in. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens going to fall off the writer's ballot after not getting enough percentage of the vote to stay on. They go to the Veterans Committee. Uh, could get in. We shall see. But David Ortiz right now, the lone member upcoming in this year's class for the Baseball Hall of Fame. Well, go ahead. I know for years we've kind of debated the viability of a DH yep. Hall of Fame, a primary DH, not somebody that at I'm, the end of their career, and I know, I know you're not a huge fan of that. No, I, and, and again, people people dis, uh, dis, think that I hate on David Ortiz. David Ortiz is a great ball player. All right, all right, well, he was a great hitter. I won't say he's a great ball player because he wasn't. I just feel like you look at uh, a bunch of guys that are up for the Hall of Fame, and if all he had to do was hit, Andrew Jones would have been in the Hall of Fame already. He, he probably should be there anyways, in my opinion, but you're about 10, 10-time Gold Glover, maybe the best center fielder since Willie Mays that people have seen play in the outfield, over 400 home runs, and he played every single day out in the field. You say, well, what happens if they don't hit him balls? You still got to go out there and play and running and diving and jumping into walls, sliding for baseballs. It has an effect on your body. It does. Could Andrew Jones have played till he was 40 if all he did was sit on the bench and swing a bat? Maybe. And again, I'm not I'm not hitting up, but again, you look at the Hall of Fame, David Ortiz, a great hitter. He wasn't the best baseball player on the Hall of Fame ballot uh this year. And I know people can debate Bonds and Clements, and I understand the steroids, and I get it. If I'm not one that's even gonna argue with you if you don't want to vote for them. But I do think you look at, at David Ortiz, and he did have at however you want to frame it, there was a at least he was on a list of reported failed drug tests, guys, around uh, MLB that got leaked uh, out there, however you want to take that. He is another case study of a guy that was better at 40 than he was at 27 uh, and 28, which is supposed to be your prime uh, baseball years. That normally does just does not happen uh, in baseball. And, I, and again, I think you his career was aided by the fact that he did not have to go out there and play uh, every single day. All you did was work on hitting. And I know, BJ, you said, look, well, that's a skill set. Mario Rivera still had to be ready to play every day because you mentioned the closer. Uh, Will Smith still has to be ready to play every single day yeah, uh, for but, the most part. Yeah, David no, Ortiz whoa, whoa, knows, whoa, hey, whoa, I get whoa, my whoa, hacks whoa. in and I go no sit down. No closers had 100. I mean, most. No, but I mean. You, okay, first off, closers don't come in when you're losing. So if you, if, if you lose 50 games minimum, you know, normally more than that, no, you don't play every day. And, and, and that's my whole problem with the David Ortiz. Do I agree with the overarching theme that could a player that uh, – maybe played in the field and was a dramatically impactful player and it took a toll on their body, be more impactful at the plate if they didn't have the defensive responsibilities? Yes, I think that's true. But I also think if you're saying David Ortiz was not a complete baseball player because he only hit, well, pitchers only pitch. Should pitchers not be in the Hall of Fame? No, they should be. They, well, should, they, also, they, they should also hit. They do in the National League. Okay, but what I'm, okay but I mean, so no, no, hold on, because if we're going to be consistent. At least for the next so few should weeks. A pitcher, anyway, but, so should a pitcher from the American League not be in a Hall of Fame? No, they never, I, they never ever bat. But I so do, if David Ortiz never fields, and that's our problem. Pitchers in the American League never bat. No, I do think it comes into consideration for the voting, though. 
Uh, so you would so, not vote for an American League pitcher in the Hall of Fame? Uh, no, I didn't say that. I said it would come into consideration if I'm comparing two guys side by side. I look at David Ortiz and say, were his numbers aided by the fact that he, for a vast majority of his career, did not have to play in the field. But are American I think League it, pitchers' numbers aided does, by the fact that you don't have to practice I, I, hitting, I, I, worry about I, I, hitting? Do, do you respect Ken Griffey Jr.'s numbers more or David Ortiz's numbers more? I think Ken Griffey Jr. is a more complete player. I, 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 but I'm I agree. Not refu- but that's, that's a different that's, argument of then he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame because he only did only did this. I mean, most sports have specialty players. Like, for example, if you're a closer, you brought up Will Smith. Will Smith pitches, unless I'm wrong, no more than an inning ever. Ever. On the postseason, he did a little bit. Well, in the postseason, maybe. But for the most part in the regular season, in a nine-inning game, you never play more than an inning. For most relievers, if you're seeing more than three or four batters, you're out. Yeah, and, That means and, you've messed up. And, and Mariano Rivera was the most dominating postseason sure, pitcher saying, we have ever seen closer, in the history right? of like, baseball. Like, yeah. like I think Billy Wagner's on the on, on the list. You could say for any closer, well, wait a second, you're not a baseball player. Like you're saying with David Ortiz, you, you come out and you pitch for one inning. And I think some of those numbers are inflated because well, you can is, get a save. I would never say that because... That's part of being a baseball player. You might, I mean, Ben, you were a football player. You never, you never kicked a field goal. You never tackled anybody. Oh, you I never, tackled somebody. Okay, um, well, <laughs> you no, never, no. hold on. You never, you never snapped the ball. No, I you didn't. never ran the but football. I, but I will say this. Hold on, hold on. But I think both of y'all make good points. It, look, I'm, I'm watching. The dude I'm, hit 541 home runs and had a 400 on base percentage but, but, in the postseason. But, 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 but in a sense, that's why you need, you know, that, that's why like you know, nuance is important. That's why perspective is important. What Kevin is saying, Kevin is like, look, I'm a baseball purist. Like. Ken Griffith Jr., you said you say he's a more complete baseball player, which we all can agree sure, with that. Sure. David Ortiz excelled at what he was asked to do, but Kevin is saying, look, But is man, there anybody out there who would say David Ortiz is a more complete baseball player than no, Ken no, no, Griffey no, Jr.? No, 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 but what but, 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 I mean, but much no. like I, I would say Ken Griffey Jr. is a more complete baseball player than Randy Johnson. Right, but but at, but, at the, but, at the same, but at the same time, too, you know, if, if there's going to be somebody come behind David Ortiz, they're going to have to do – you know what he did, like postseason, regular season, hits, home runs, impact, war, all those things. But I'm I'm watching I'm watching I'm watching a you know I'm not gonna pub, but I'm watching a favorite podcast of mine last night, and they were talking to a uh and a, a player that played you know before I played, and they was asking about the NFL today, and he was like, oh no, he said I don't watch it because it doesn't reflect the NFL he came up in. Like it's he ain't saying it's not the NFL, and he ain't saying that players aren't incredible, but he said, dude. And I think sometimes, you know, when you talking about when you talk, when you comparing, you know, apples to apples, when you talk about David Ortiz, there are people that say, like Kevin say, look, man, he he did one thing, but he excelled. At but it. what I'm all I'm saying is, is that a lot of players only do one thing. I mean, with relievers, you have relievers who like literally only come in to face a left-handed hitter with a runner on first. Well, and not two anymore out. since they changed the rules. Can't but, do that. But, but but in baseball, you have a, you, you have guys who are late inning catchers. You have got like you have players who in the American League, like you said, if you pitch and Maybe if you make the World Series, I think they're getting rid of interleague play, right? But uh, no. Or, or but if you have if you have a, an American League pitcher and you pitch for 15 years in the American League, you might have five at bats your whole career. Is that a complete baseball player? Or are you doing the job that the rules of the game are asking you to do? Your job is not to hit. Your job outside of dribblers that go past the catcher is not to field. David Ortiz, like it or not, in the American League, there's a DH. It's probably coming to the National League. Sooner rather than later, yeah. and in that role, he's one of the greatest ever. He has over 540 home runs. He played in 85 postseason games and won three World Series championships. 
including perhaps being the most clutch and most important player for a team winning its first championship in 100 oh, and years. I think that, and I think that would be the more important body of work that, that people look at when evaluating him for the Hall of Fame, certainly is what he did in the postseason. I think that does carry a lot of weight. I just look at it and say, so you're going to make the case for David Ortiz, but you can't get enough vote support for a guy like Andrew Jones, who also did it at a high level and also had to go out and play elite gold glove defense, defense for, is underappreciated. For, for, for 10 years, which David Ortiz did not. He had to make sure that the Gatorade was full and there was bubblegum sitting on the back before he went up there. And, did. I, and again, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that to be detrimental. I'm just saying it does have an effect on how we view certain guys who... But what do pitchers do during the four days I, I they're not pitching? And, I understand that. And most people look at, and that's why I think it is harder for relievers to get into the Hall no, of Fame. No, I'm saying starting than, pitchers. If but you're starting pitchers, you're looking at strikeouts, things of that but, nature. But you're saying filling up the bubblegum. For the four days you're not pitching during the week, what are you doing? I understand that, and I think during the time that uh, Greg Maddox played, uh, he did, you would see Bobby Cox utilize that. We've seen Max Fried hit on days he's not pitching. They are part of the team. Not a lot, but I mean, I'm saying you do see that. But I and think David for, Ortiz has played in the field before. Not regularly, but much like National I think League. his last 10 years, he played 14 total games in the field. Well, but how many at-bats did you know the average so, I mean, pitcher in the 90s have? What All I'm saying is I understand and agree with your argument that players who play offense and defense – have a more well-rounded, comprehensive impact, and maybe that takes away from various sure. elements of their... I agree with that. But what I'm saying, if we're going to single out the DH and say you're not doing everything, I'm saying there are a lot of guys, including and, pitchers who get paid the most, who don't do everything. And to be fair, Edgar Martinez, also DH there with the Seattle Mariners, a lot of people said the same stuff about him. Although he, didn't he did win not three have, World no, Series. I, I, well, I was trying to finish that point. Obviously, did not have the... Uh, World Series titles to do that. Also, we're at the interesting point here in this where Bonds and Clemens are off, and you look at, and we brought this up, uh, I brought this up to you guys pre-show, where as of right now, you have, and say what you want about, all of them have their various scandals, but right now you have a baseball Hall of Fame in which the guy who hit the ball way more than anybody else is not in. A guy who maybe, however you want to view it, I don't, Necessarily give him the home run record because I think the last couple of years of his career earned some of those fraudulently. But a guy who is a Hall of Fame player, maybe the the best player uh, raw that people say they've ever seen, uh, is not going to be in. And Roger Clemens, who may be the best all around starting pitcher that we've seen of the last generation, and from you know in pitching the eighties, over over four thousand strikeouts, what five six seven Cy Youngs uh, to his record, maybe the best. He's not in. So you basically have three of the greatest all-time players statistically in the history of the game, all not in the Hall of Fame. What other sport could you say that in? And they're all, well, Pete Rose is not eligible uh, because of rules, but, I mean, nobody said Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens weren't eligible. We've just just decided that they're not. Do you think they'll get in with the player vote? I think the Veterans Committee, after some time, will allow them to get in. And again, their their vote totals were going up. You just hadn't reached that 75%. I think both of them got over 70% yes. this year. So they were within a percentage, couple yeah. of percentage points of getting there. And I know Roger Clemens has come out and said, look, I, I gave up on the Hall of Fame a long time ago. I don't care. It is what it is. Uh, Barry Bonds hasn't really said much about it. And I know Kurt Schilling, who was another guy who people said had some most clutch performances in the postseason that we've seen from a pitcher. He's not in and kind of said, look, just take my name off the ballot. And so I think we've seen great players potentially not get in. And we talked about this off the air yesterday. Are we to the point where, I mean, are we, are we, is it the totality? Are we, and again, the writers have seen people say, well, they don't give us a lot of clarity on how we're supposed to judge these things. Are we looking at the cheating and saying, well, everybody did it? So they were juice batters going against juice pitchers? Do we look at it and say, 
they were Hall of Famers anyway, which I think Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds were Hall of Famers without the juice? Or do we look at it and say, well, they cheated the game? And if that's the case, there's plenty of guys who have yeah. been in the Hall of Fame who cheated the game yeah. and still were, were able to get in there. So there is that dichotomy on how people vote, and I think there hasn't been a lot of clarity on, on that. But it is interesting that three of the best players that potentially you've seen in baseball, statistically, in the last 30, 40 years, all would not be in. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, because you, you played at the highest level. I mean, is it could you see, hey, you cheated. We know you cheated. You're still in the Hall of Fame. You were still great. Or do you think it's fair to hold people out over that? Uh, I don't know. It's slippery slope with me because I think sometimes, too, I think about how many guys uh, that have vote that really want to vote them in. And then, you know, let's, let's face it, we live in a – uh, a majority like stricken world. Are you afraid to be that one? Because you know, I, I don't know if they can see like like you can Kevin. make your vote public for for the hall of fame. And, and, yeah. I, and I think too is this. It's, it's like you say, Kevin. I, I say okay. I could get it if like nobody has ever gotten in that was you know quote cheated. I can get that. Like we don't just do that, but you have right. And then what's gonna come? What's gonna come down the line is what if you have other guys that come up and just say it wasn't you know it wasn't steroids, but it was some. You know, they had some type the Houston of, Astros are the next big exactly. case so you that got, they talked about. Bunch of, you know, like, because like, like, when you think about the MLB, it is kind of fickle. Like, what really happened to the Astros? Nothing. Like, nothing really happened I'm saying, to but if you're voting in whenever he decides to quit playing, and five years after that, Jose Altuve exactly. comes up, are you, are you, are you not well, voting but, for him? But even this year, to your point about the consistency, and again, I don't know the exact, but some baseball writers have said, well, so we're voting against these guys, but David Ortiz at least had some sort of, I guess, a test for something right, you know, we yeah. don't know the details of. So I guess some people have said, you're going to do it, you got to be consistent one way or I the mean, other. I mean, I do, look, at it It makes the MLB look fraudulent because, like you said, Kevin, it's not as if this wasn't going on. I, and look, look, I can, I can, look, I can, I said this before, I cannot condone something but still respect the career. Like, I, I don't, no one condones cheating. I played with guys that, quote, cheated in the NFL. I can still respect their game. And if they came up, I'll say, well, on the field, like, did they do it on the field? Yeah. Did they do some things off the field that I don't necessarily agree with? No. But, the, the you know, the body of work, yes, they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. If Barry Bonds isn't a Hall of Famer, they don't exist. If, a, if, if Roger Clemens is not a Hall of Famer, they don't exist. Because you're going to say, well, no, 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 no. Because you act as if the only reason why they got this is because they did it. That's not the only reason why they did it. Now, did Barry Bonds get much bigger and swollen up as he got older? <laughs> yep. But at the same time... You can cheer for them. You can buy tickets. You can do all these things. But when it comes time for you to, because I mean, the 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 Hall of Fame is a validation of a career. They're saying, look, man, this is what I did. But unfortunately, all I can control is what I did on the field. I can control getting in. I can control the voters. So I don't know. It's it's a slippery slope. But I do hope the veterans are. Uh, I do hope they get in, Kevin and BJ, because it's a travesty if they don't. The Pete Rose thing is always another thing too. Like, look, man, he admitted it, it happened. It shouldn't happen. But does it take away what he did on the? But I guess on, if, you know, if if you let guys in who had, you know. The PED stuff. Do you have to re- reevaluate the Pete Rose thing at some point? Well, I'm I, I, again, I'm not condoning it, but again, he bet on himself. And if the guy was was uh, you know flaking games uh, out there, he has more hits than anybody in the history of the whole game. Like he wasn't doing a very good job of it. If he was, I understand the association uh, that you get. I'm sure the NFL and NBA, as you start to see more and more of the. Uh, the, the, the gambling aspect coming are going to have to be very wary of that. It's like, hey, we got people with DraftKings and stuff on our jerseys. Are we worried about players betting on themselves, betting against themselves in games? I think that's a certainly a, a, the legitimacy of the game is at hand. I certainly understand that. But, again, I think time served. He's admitted it. He said, look, I didn't, 
Sorry, didn't mean to do it. Whatever, it happened. You move on. And again, uh, I, I think if you look at it, did it destroy the integrity of the game? It doesn't appear so. It's still going. And so I, I would say Pete Rose at some point deserves to uh, to get himself in. Again, I, I guess my stance softens the more it goes, and it probably will soften on Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and those guys. Do I think, do I say Barry Bonds is the home run king? No, because I think what got him over 755 was fraudulent. Do I think he would have had over five, 600 home runs without steroids? Oh, yes, he would have. So I think that's where you look at and say the dude is still a Hall of Famer, despite the fact you look at the home run record was probably obtained because X number of extra home runs were obtained because you were, you you know, doing what you did. So we got more to come here, three and out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. Good to have you along here, three and out, Kevin, BJ, and Bing. Just continuing on with this because we had a good discussion going and off the air uh, there with the Baseball Hall of Fame and what constitutes and cheating. And A-Rod is certainly going to be a, another test study because unlike Bonds and Clemens and some of those guys, A-Rod was suspended for steroid use, right? He missed a whole season uh, for, for steroid use. What about Jose Altuve, another test case, the Houston Astros, who were called out for cheating in their World Series win? If Jose Altuve goes on, has a Hall of Fame-worthy career, when it comes time to vote, do people go, yeah, but back in, what, 2016, when they were banging on trash cans and had a camera operation set up out there, if they don't do that, do they have that World Series? I, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how people treat that when it comes time to vote and make that Hall of Fame ballot. Yes, I think uh, with A-Rod, my, my guess would be if you know you didn't see the Clemens and Bonds uh, numbers get quite up to that threshold, I don't think Alex Rodriguez is, especially when you factor in that, yes, he was suspended for a significant amount of time, so there was kind of a uh, more pronounced sort of uh, this is what happened, this is what we're doing about it kind of thing, and maybe maybe some people give him credit with that and say, hey, you, you know missed a season, but I just think given that the – the talking point is there. I, it, it's hard. And then when you think about a player like Altuve, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I think it's going to be brought up. I mean, how do you, and I guess the same thing can be said for steroids, but how do you quantify, to go to the Bonds argument, okay, you already were one of the best players right. in the league. Mm-hmm. If this right. was happening, yeah. how do we quantify? It's hard, a, yeah. A, how do we know for a fact what, because, you know, there's disputes, and this, this didn't, didn't, how do we right. know for a fact what what actually went down, yeah. and then how do we know how that benefited you, or is just the kind of allegation and the assumption and the news that we do have yeah. uh, confirming what is known? Is that enough to say, wait a second, you well, might not you might not get get the votes? And again, I guess you have to go a little bit off an assumption uh, of this, and I guess the only other argument would be like, well, what about Tom Brady, who's doing it with kale shakes and carrot juice and all that kind of stuff? But I mean. Who, but but those against but, the rules. I know, but I'm, I'm saying, but who is the best player in their sport at 40 years old? And I don't mean like they might be. It's an argument. Tom, like mean, Barry Tom, Bonds, yeah. at the height of the run to, to break Hank Aaron's record, was 40 years old and was the most feared hitter in all of baseball. Got walked with the bases loaded so they wouldn't have to pitch to him. That has an impact on the game. And again, I, and I think that is... Was he a Hall of Famer without it? Yes. How many home runs? And as I've said before, guys who cheat and do steroids, things like that, if you are in Major League Baseball, you have elite hand-eye coordination. If you are a pitcher in Major League Baseball, you have elite hand-eye coordination. Does the steroids help you hit a ball 10 foot farther? Uh, because you're going to hit baseballs. Does a steroid help you recover from that 95-pitch outing uh, in less time? Does the steroids help you make more starts? 
Does a steroid help you play every day? Uh, because, hey, I'm 40 years old. Game 120, I start feeling a little tired. But I'm taking roids, so I don't feel tired at all. I'm still out here blasting bombs in September like it's March and April. I, I, I think that is uh, part of it that, that, that gets a lot of people is that in no other sport are you the best player in the league. Michael Jordan came back. Was Michael Jordan the best player in the league at 40 years old? Nope. I mean, was Shaquille O'Neal as big and dominant as he was? Was he the best player in the league no. at 40 years old? Were his numbers at 40 better than his numbers at 28, 29? No, and we've seen that time and time again in Major League Baseball. David Ortiz, his last year, led the American League, I think, in in, in slugging percentage, on-base percentage, and he was 40 years old and then retired on that. You, you, don't, you don't see that at a lot, at a lot of sports where at – the end of your but career, it's also not you're fair better to just than say, you were in the prime of your career. But it's not career. fair to just say you're old, you're balling, you were doing something wrong. No, that's not fair. But the numbers correspond Hold with on. that. Because Ben can appreciate that. Ben, and again, anybody, if you saw Shannon Sharp, Shannon Sharp last year in the league, let's just say he had more catches and more yards and more touchdowns than he'd had at any point in his career. Would you be like, man, that dude's a freak? Or in the back of your mind, are you going, how is this guy having a career year, maybe the best tight end year in the league at 40 years old? That just doesn't happen. I'm not, nope. I'm not saying you, you, you have to prove that, but there's a large suspicion where you're bigger than you've ever been in your career. And with baseball, you can see it because there's no pads. You're bigger than you've ever been. You're putting up bit better numbers than you've ever put up in the history of your career, and you're 40 years old. That don't make sense. And I think that's what got a lot of people in that era because that just doesn't happen. You get worse as you get older, especially towards the end of your career. Doesn't mean you can't be a good ball player. You're certainly not the best in the league. Yeah, and that that, that is a really really good point because the thing, the fact of the matter is, you know, most 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 uh, athletes don't make it to forty. Like they're not going to make it to forty. And if they do, if they're even still productive, and if you are the most productive at you know in the league, people going to be like, you know, how is a person doing this? And look, even if. Now you do got you do got exceptions to the rule. I'm not saying you know Tom Brady or you know LeBron or what you got exceptions to the rule, but it's very 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 slim. I think what's happening with Barry Bonds and Clemson and those guys is when it comes to voting, man, you don't want to cast any doubt. See, when it comes to these writers or whatever, they looking like okay, man, it is our job to just you know like we are documenting everything you do in the, in the NFL now. Uh, conduct off the field could keep you from getting in. That's why T.O. didn't get in first ballot. The thing about the Hall of Fame is they're trying to th- think about it. They're trying to do everything to not put you in. You got to make it so they do. They're checking off all the boxes. You start, you know, you start having some red flags. They're not going to put you in. And I don't look. I don't think it make them wrong or make them right. You that that's that's how anything. Like to me, that's what makes sports. Uh, people go, how do the people that quote you know didn't play the sport? How do they? How do they, like, impact? Well, when it comes to the end of your career, they're the ones that validate it. Why? Because they document the whole thing. The same people you was asking questions to the whole time, they know everything about your career. Now, when you talk about steroids, when I talk about widespread, when was, it was a lot. Now, I don't know if everybody was doing it. Apparently, now, there was a lot of people doing it. No, no, I'm not saying it was. Because yeah. we, because think about this. You think about, think about marijuana in the NFL. We judged, we judged, you know, we judged the many on the few. It's very, very few guys get in trouble with marijuana. But they'll say it's a widespread problem. Well, is it? But when it comes to Barry Bonds and Clemens, what they'll say is they'll say, dude, you guys are one of the greatest. Barry Bonds, you might be the greatest. But, dude, like, it bothers me that you had to do this and you didn't have to do it. Clemens, I know it go back to, because if I'm not mistaken, with the bloody, with the bloody. Uh, uh, that was chilling with the bloody shot. I'm sorry, yeah. I, I get them. I just, I, just, I just think that sometimes, you know, Kevin and BJ, you know, when you think about the Hall of Fame, you are the greatest of all time. That's, you are semen forever. 
these sports writers know if we put them in, there are other sports writers saying, y'all, are y'all looking past what we knew about them? Now, Altuve is going to be interesting. I mean, you talk about A-Rod. A-Rod was a generational player. I remember when A-Rod got drafted. It's like people, because people start saying, dude, you didn't have to do it. Like, you didn't have to do it. So it's not as if, it's not as if the, the sports writers are doing anything wrong. Because look, dude, bottom line, you cheated. Like, let's just, you did cheat. Now, I'm not saying that's the only reason why. Now, when it comes to Altuve and them, y'all been back to the World Series, haven't won one. Since you ain't got them trash cans, right? That, that, I'm, I'm just saying, let's, let's just call it what it is, right? I just think with Barry Bonds and Clemens, it's it, it could be a, it could be a moral issue for these people voting because they saying, dude, look, man, what does it say to other players who do it the right way, who don't do that? You know, because they're gonna because listen, we all would love a competitive advantage. Let's just call it. I would have loved to have had one, but is, but is it worth me being known for that? Because when you think Barry Bonds, you think Clemens, you don't just think great hitter, great pitcher. That's also thrown in there. So I think that hopefully they still get in. But I'm just saying, most people think, hey, man, I'm a good enough player to where the consequences don't apply to me. Oh, but they do. And now they're kind of feeling it. We'll see what happens down the line. But I'm not mad at the sports writers because it is their job to hold you, your whole, the totality of your career accountable, not just I was, I was going to do this without the steroids, so why did you take them? Like if you were going to do it without it, why did you take them? I'm telling you, people want to be the best at any cost. And when Barry Bonds was doing what he was doing, everybody's watching like this dude got 70 home runs. Like it's no boop, like as soon as he hit, it's gone. Hey, go, people taking pictures. I remember when um McGuire and Sammy Sosa, every other game. But people like, and somebody go, you know that's not natural, right? Like look at <laughs> look at Barry, I mean, look at Sammy Sosa. Look at Jerry Maguire. I mean, uh, yeah, don't Jerry, 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 Jerry McGuire. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mark McGuire. Show me the money. <laughs> McGuire and Sosa. So I I I I because I played the sport, BJ, and I understand. Sometimes it's a slap in the face to the guys that didn't that did it the right way. Sometimes, like, dude, they did it the right way, and you were better than me. But do you add something to make you even more better than me? Like you add. So I'm I'm not mad to the sports writers, man. You put that that's that, that, that's their job. People don't got to like it. But if you didn't do this, guess what? You would have been in the first ballot. But people go, sorry, this is Barry Bonds. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, for those who don't know, he also did this and did that. So you're right, Kevin. Forty years old with David Ortiz. I ain't never seen another, and, no. and I guarantee you, we're not going to see it again. Maybe not. And, and again, I think that's something we'll pay attention to as the years go on, as we follow baseball and how that's how the numbers kind of change over this kind of era of Major League Baseball. We got more to come. Three and out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. And we'll do it leading up through the Super Bowl. So just a couple more weeks for you to win. And we will take caller number four right now, 912-342-7184. 912-342-7184. A signed copy of Ben's book. Uncommon and unfinished. Caller four right now, 912-342-7184. Or you don't win one from us, bentroop84.com. You can go buy one there online right there. I mean, listen, I'm, I don't got to say that. Listen, 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 Kevin out there getting it done, as he mentioned. Listen, the Working fourth for caller, about 10%, we'll then. get a signed copy of Uncommon and <laughs> Unfinished, the Ben Troop story with B.J. Bennett. 912-342-7184. We really, really appreciate the love and support you guys have been giving us. I mean, no one ever thought... BJ, I didn't have any expectation when it was uh, writing this book, and it has super set expectation. But listen, the fourth caller, 912-342-7184, you will get an autographed copy of Uncommon Unfinished, the Bantry Store, and BJ will be signing it as There you well. go. A little extra incentive for you to call. Call right now, caller 4, 912-342-7184, win your copy of Uncommon and Unfinished, and Scott Strickland will join us when we return. Good to have you here, three and out. On this Wednesday, Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you're making us a part of your day. So much to uh, to get to here as uh, we're turning 
Hopefully we're getting out of this cold weather the next couple of weeks and we're starting to look forward to some warmer weather, which means baseball on the horizon, college baseball on the horizon as well. University of Georgia ranked 14th in their most recent preseason poll. That is out. Season starts February 18th versus Albany head coach of the University of Georgia Bulldogs, Scott Strickland, uh, joins us here on 3 and Out. Coach, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, obviously a fun time to be in Athens with all that's been happening over the last uh, couple of weeks. And obviously you guys, top 15 preseason, that's got to give you a lot of momentum as you're out there in the cold getting ready for the season to start knowing, hey, there's some people that expect an awful lot of us here in 2022. Yeah, expectations are a good thing, and we certainly have them in Athens and, and just about every everything that we do. And football kind of set the tone. I told our team we had a team meeting on Monday right before the national championship game. I said, hey, fellas, we're going to win the national championship tonight in football, and then you're literally all going to get text messages from friends and fans and family saying you guys are next. And uh, the next day, everybody said it. That's what everyone's talking about. And we're excited. we got a good club and uh, and like I said, we've got good expectations, and I think that's a really good thing. Coach, what are your goals? What are your priorities uh, here for the preseason? Well, the priorities stay healthy, and that was last year kind of our downfall. I thought we had a very good year. Uh, we just missed the NCAA tournament, which was disappointing. We lost five pitchers along the way, and we just got to stay healthy. And I think every coach in every sport will say that. That's your priority. Get to opening day healthy and see what you got. But got a lot of depth, got a lot of experience. Uh, I think the biggest issue we're going to have is getting a consistent lineup and, uh, and just being able to get everybody to contribute. And everybody's staying on board because sometimes playing time can, can take away some focus from guys. So we need to make sure that, uh, that we're all on the same page, we get there healthy, and uh, we battle as a team. Man, Coach, I know you mentioned that uh, you said, uh, you know, Georgia was going to win the national championship, and they went out there and did it. Talk about your team being able to get those text messages. Can you build on that momentum, though? Because it's one thing, you know, to have that momentum on campus saying this is what we want to do as a baseball squad, but when you know what's going on in Athens right now, can you use it as a motivator throughout the course of the year? Yeah, I don't think there's any question, and you can look at a lot of things that went on with our football team that the adversity went through a walk-on quarterback leading us and you know all those things uh 41 years between championships so you know georgia last won a national championship in baseball 1990 so now we're looking at 31 years so you know it's time it can be done uh you know baseball it's it's a crazy sport it's the team that gets the hottest not always the best team it's the team that gets hottest i think we've got a really talented team we've got a, a deep uh experienced team and uh, we play well we stay healthy we get hot at the right time i think we've got as good a chance as anybody to win a national championship scott strickland uga head baseball coach joining us here on three and out and uh, you coach you, you mentioned uh, navigating the schedule uh, certainly the sec has got a uh, reputation in just about every sport they trot out there you're ranked 14th in the preseason poll but there are seven of you guys in the top 15 in the sec how tough is that uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday out in the SEC, knowing that uh, you know you could face a Jack Leiter, a Kumar Rocker, then you go out to Arkansas and Ole Miss, and you're talking about all these teams have Omaha aspirations. How tough is that week in and week out to compete in the SEC? Yeah, it's an absolute grind. Every single weekend's like a super regional weekend in this league, and you've got ten straight weeks. I remember when I first got the job, the schedule wasn't set for 2014 they gave it to me in the summer of 2013 here's your schedule here's the non-conference teams and then it just had 30 straight secs i'm like oh no and that's when it really hit me man it's it's such a grind 
Um, it's so deep, this conference is. Uh, every team, I think, is regional caliber, and every team could compete for national championships. So it's what makes the conference great, and uh, there's no question it's the best conference in college baseball. And it, it is tough, it's challenging, but it's a lot of fun, too. Talk about some of the players uh, who are going to be leaders for you uh, coming up this season, some names that fans should know. Well, we got a ton of guys back from last year's team. And, you know, the, the Twins, Connor and Cole Tate, they've been with us forever. They're fifth-year seniors, and Connor's going to play most likely left field, and Cole will be our starting shortstop. Josh McAllister was our second baseman last year. We're going to move him over to third base. And, uh, you know, he was a guy that we thought we were going to lose in the draft and fortunate enough to get him back. Ben Anderson will play center field. He's been there for the last two years for us. Cheney Rogers, another fifth-year senior. Uh, we'll play some first. We'll play some right field. We'll move him around a little bit. Our sophomores from last year, Corey Collins, Fernando Gonzalez, Parks Harbor, all had great freshman years. Now they're sophomores, and all three guys are going to be high draft picks as juniors. Just really, really talented. Those are the position players that, uh, that you know we just feel like give us a ton of depth, a ton of experience. We've got a whole bunch of guys we could talk about, but those are the main guys that we have back from last year. And then the pitching staff, Jonathan Cannon, he'll be our Friday night starter. Again, we thought we were going to lose him in the draft. He was a draft-eligible sophomore, and he just made the decision. He drew a line in the sand and said, if I don't get drafted at this certain level, I'm coming back for my junior season. And, and here he is. He's back with us, and he'll be our Friday night starter with Liam Sullivan most likely going Saturday. Jaden Woods coming back, uh, pitched in the, out of the bullpen for us last year. Could start, could close. Jack Gowan from right down there in South Georgia. He's a Folkestone, Georgia kid. Could be the back-end closer. Just really excited about the experience and depth that we have on this team. Coach, you talk about the veterans. You talk about the experience. You talk about the depth. What do you think is going to be uh, the strength of your team this season? Well, I do think it's that experience and depth. And You can't teach experience. You have to do it. You have to actually go out there and get at bats and play in the, the tough atmospheres and try to get people out with 10,000 people screaming at you. And we got a lot of guys that have been in that situation. So, you know, we've had a lot of young teams in the past, and, and that's one of the things. you got to put them out there, and, and they kind of learn as they go. We've got a lot of guys that have already been there, done that. And I think that's the strength of our team. It's talent, and it's depth, and it's experience. Hey, Coach, I guess to follow up with that, with Ben's, uh, Ben's question there, do you kind of feel like you're a team that can go out and slug with people, or are you going to be the type of team that has to go out there and pitch? I guess you could say in the SEC it's going to start on the bump every night. Uh, if, if you can't pitch or if you get a, a bad performance, it's not going to go well. But uh, do you feel like you're a team that could out-hit people and out-pitch people on, on any given night, or are you going to lean heavily on, on those guys on the mound, especially in SEC play? I really do think we have a lot of balance on both sides of the ball. I think that we've got a very deep pitching staff with a lot of talent, a lot of really great arms. But you look at our lineup, one through nine, and, and we're going to go 13, 14, 15 deep position player-wise, guys that hit for power. The one thing that we won't do a ton of, we're not going to run a ton. Uh, we don't have a great deal of team speed. we got some guys that can steal a few bases here and there. But uh, I really think that we're a team that can uh, put some pressure on you defensively we can uh, we can hit some balls uh, in the gap we can hit some balls over the fence and uh, I think we're going to be a very good defensive team too so I think we're really balanced I think that there's going to be days that in this league you're going to have to win two to one but then there's going to be days you're going to have to win 10 to nine and, and I think that we can do a little bit of both in your evaluations do you do you break up the season into stretches you know I'm looking at your schedule you have the non-conference you have the SEC obviously the focus is always on the postseason 
getting into the NCAA tournament, or, or are you kind of looking at the season as, as one big piece? How do you evaluate the progress throughout a long season? Well, I, I really don't break it up. You know, when we talk to the team, I don't necessarily talk about preseason or postseason. I mean, the, every game counts. And, you know, this first couple of weekends, we got to make sure that we get our pitch counts up with our pitchers, get everybody in there, get experience to get ready for Georgia Tech and then Georgia Southern. We play Georgia Tech uh, weekend number three, and then we've got Georgia Southern Tuesday, Wednesday. So that arguably could be our toughest stretch of the season. And uh, we've got that in weekend three. So when we get to week three, we need to be ready to go and pitchers completely stretched out with their pitch counts. And that's a really good kind of uh, warm-up for the SEC to what we're going to see. We open up with Mississippi State two weeks later. So we've got to uh, to be ready to play. But, yeah, I don't really break it in to, you know, the preseason regular season, postseason, it's let's let's win every single game that we can and get ourselves ready and put ourselves in a position to uh, to be a postseason team. And Coach, I know we started off the interview talking about uh, telling your players about what you, what the Georgia Bulldog football team did with Stetson Bennett and those guys. And one thing that stood out about me about that team was the culture of that team. Uh, how much is the culture of your team this year is going to decide how far you guys go this year? It's huge. It's huge. You've got to have kids all on the same side of the rope, pulling in the same direction. And that's the challenge when you've got a deep team. And when you have that, you have to have guys buy into their roles. And uh, not everyone's going to be the Friday night starter. Not everybody's going to hit in the three-hole or play center field. You've got to accept your role. doesn't mean you have to be happy with it, but you've got to battle and compete to try to get more playing time, to try to get more innings on the mound, but support your teammates. And when you have that, you have a really good team culture. I think we have that right now. But, man, when that first lineup is posted on opening day and you can only put nine guys in there and then a tenth pitcher, it's tough on the other guys that aren't playing. you got to make sure that everybody is ready to go, ready to compete and help your team out. Scott Strickland joining us here on 3 and Out. The coach, really appreciate the time. Best of luck to you in the upcoming season. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. He's the head baseball coach there at the University of Georgia. Scott Strickland joining us here on 3 and Out. And as we mentioned, they are ranked 14th in the preseason. Seven SEC teams in the top 14, uh, BJ and Ben. So uh, much like a lot of uh, sports, like, hey, you got to come conference playtime. you got to rise and shine. And uh, it's, it's no different than what you hear from you know the Braves. Hey, if, if we get up in a series against Arkansas, you need to try to take two out of three. You try to take two out of three and keep plugging and moving forward because uh, the SEC, and as you said, the, the non-conference, Georgia Tech, top 20 uh, program. Georgia Southern has been really good under Rodney Hennon. So some of the non-conference uh, uh, kind of series you've come up with aren't going to be any joke either. Yeah, and it's just crazy to think the Baseball America top 14 half is the SEC. Yeah. And, you know, Vanderbilt has been a defining program. Arkansas, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, And you're going to add Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and, 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 <laughs> and I believe Texas is preseason number one yeah. uh, for this year. So it's, so it's about to get worse, but... Uh, SEC football, boy, SEC baseball, is uh, they are the dominant conference in the country, clearly. The one thing that stood out, I mean, Coach was saying, man, you got to accept your role, even if it's a lesser role. Sometimes you're not going to be able to get out there. And uh, that's the hardest thing, I think, for any player to do is, look, man, are you a team Are you a team player first or second? And, and, and accepting your role, I mean, Kevin, obviously, you know, when you talk about baseball, you're not, you're not going to have the same role, you know, uh, game in and game out. But the quicker you can accept it and be ready when that role is called upon, it's going to be going to decide, you know, wins and losses. Yeah, teams stay ready, right? That's what yes, in, in every In every sport, that's what you got to be on. You got to be on uh, teams stay ready. We got more to come here. It's three and out. All across the Southern Pigskin. We're with you on this Wednesday, Kevin, BJ, and Ben. A lot of talk around the Jacksonville Jaguar coaching position. 
Could it be Matt Eberflus? Could it be Byron Lefwich? Uh, Eberflus, the defensive coordinator there with the Indianapolis Colts. Byron Lefwich, uh, Bucks offensive coordinator. Obviously, uh, they're working with Tom Brady in in Jacksonville, according to Adam Schefter. Uh, they're talking with uh, both, uh, amongst some other people. Not close to a deal with anyone, even though some outlets reportedly said it was close uh, to being uh, Byron Lefwich organization still going through that process and figuring it out. And I did see somebody say that the Jags were trying to use Matt Eberflus to leverage Byron Leftwich uh, in the job, i.e., hey, if you don't give us an answer, we're going to go look over here, i.e., make a decision and come on board. So I think they were trying to to maybe use, hey, we are interested in another guy. If you want this gig, uh, let us know. So I, they may still have Leftwich as their front runner. I think he would be a great fit, guys, uh, just as a former Jag. And, and again, you don't see that a lot in the NFL. We're like, oh, he's a former Packer. He would be a great. But I think in this case, somebody that knows Jacksonville has been a good player for you in Jacksonville, obviously has gotten a resume built up over the last handful of years in the National Football League, can relate to your franchise quarterback. I think, Ben and BJ, you look at it and say, as a head coach, a former quarterback in this league, obviously he's going to be focused on winning with the franchise, but where's his nice little focus going to be? My focus is going to be make sure Trevor Lawrence gets us to the postseason, and I'm going to do everything I can to make him be successful. I don't care about the, the left and right tackle. I do, but I don't. I don't care about the running backs, the wide receiver, defensive ends. I'm going to design a system so that that guy is going to be the man in Jacksonville for the next decade, and I'm going to make sure that I call plays to benefit him. Not everybody else, him. And I do think that's important to have that guy that's like, hey, I know what it's like to be a starting quarterback in this league. I know Jacksonville. I understand the culture there. We need to try to change it to a winning culture and not just, hey, once a decade, we kind of figure it out and get into the AFC Championship game potentially or get into playoffs. But I want to be one of those consistent teams that every year people are saying you're not picking in the top three, right? And, and, and that's goal number one. Quit picking in the top three, five in Jacksonville and get us at least to a point where you could be in the playoffs. And B.J. Ben, we talked yesterday about the Falcons and the position they could be in if Tom Brady says deuces. I mean, what position are you walking in in the AFC South? where Houston is a miss. The Titans are a good team. Obviously, they were number one seed, got eliminated through poor quarterback play. Are they unbeatable? No, Derrick Henry's a beast. The Colts? Well, you beat the Colts bad. That's what I'm saying. So so what kind of position are you walking into there? Could you be successful relatively quickly in a pretty bad division overall? Potentially, and, and I think, you know, you look at the last couple of years with Byron Lefwich. I mean, the last two years, he's been the offensive coordinator in Tampa, what, for three years? The last two years, two years ago, he won the Super Bowl as the offensive coordinator. Last year, uh, or this year, however you want to phrase it, Tom Brady had his best statistical season ever. Uh, he had the most passing yards and the most passing touchdowns in the National Football League, and that's with Byron Lefwich as the offensive coordinator. And you're talking about a guy that uh, was drafted in 2003 in the first round, by the Jacksonville Jaguars, knows what Trevor Lawrence is dealing with, obviously uh, just has a great track record of working with quarterbacks, was in Arizona uh, as well, and I think uh, a lot of Jaguars fans are are really hoping that it's Byron Leftwich, and I think the excitement would be there. I think the enthusiasm would be there. Like you said, Kevin, very rarely do you have a, a coach kind of come home to where they played. I think you've had a few examples, but uh, for a franchise that has not had, quite frankly, a lot to be excited about. You get the Trevor Lawrence draft pick, number one overall. We'll see what happens, number one overall here. But then you have Leftwich brought in to, yes, make the team better, develop the culture, et cetera. But 
as a as a quarterback guru and a quarterback himself, work with Trevor Lawrence, develop Trevor Lawrence, help Trevor Lawrence get to that next level. And if you're looking around going, okay, I want an offensive guy. Who's he work? He's worked with Brady, and he helped Brady have his best season and win a championship. Uh, so I think Byron Lefwich uh, has has earned this opportunity. I think it would be a great hire. We obviously need uh, more African American uh, representation, minority and black uh, coaching opportunities. And and I think Byron Leftwich Ben would be a great hire. It looked like some of the some of the news coming out that, that this was about to happen. And again, who knows? Kind of processing through uh, what's out there in the social media reports. But I think Byron Leftwich would be a great hire. He would. And uh, the thing is, I saw uh, last year after Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl. Obviously, he had. Byron Levers had a lot of momentum going into the offseason saying, uh, is he going to be a, a head coach? And he was like, look, I just want to help players, man. I really, really want to help players. And I think sometimes, too, when you are a former player, you know, I think about, you know, Eric Bieniemy and D'Amico Ryans and those guys. No one, you know, we talked to, you know, we talked to Tony Richardson earlier when he was saying, listen, man, uh, Eric Bieniemy was my running backs coach when I was with the Vikings. Who was else, who else with the Vikings at the time? Adrian Peterson. There is something to say about guys who become coaches and they respect the coaching profession. They was willing to work their way up, work their ways up. You talk about Byron Left, which how many offensive coordinators are even going to make the playoffs, let alone make the Super Bowl, let alone win it? That's what he has on his resume. And how many guys have that pedigree of being playing the quarterback position, being the face of a franchise, coming from a place like Marshall, understanding you know unrealistic expectation in a in a in a in a on a team that didn't have a lot of tradition because they hadn't even been a team in the NFL that long yeah, they, at that they, point. They, they had been a team eight years when he yeah. Got so there. I think I think the thing about um I think the thing about Byron Leftwich you start asking yourself what else can I do now Byron Leftwich isn't begging to be no coach. You say look man because of my resume because of what I've done because of my track record is why I'm getting you know uh these opportunities. If he doesn't become the head coach you know I hope it is because you know he's a black guy like like I, because I'm getting sick of that and as a black guy myself. I'm tired of it being about it. It don't got to be about that all the time. I'm like, I'm like, I said, look, man, look, blind, blind taste test. You took, you, you know, you tasted all these things. This tastes the best. It's just, oh, that's Byron Leftwich right there. Oh, well, it, it's, it, we got to get to a point to where we start asking ourselves, do we want the most qualified or not? Do we want the best available or not? Who's the best defensive coordinator probably left in the, in the playoffs right now? Might be D'Amico Ryans, right? He just happened to go to Alabama and get drafted by the Houston Texans. And, you know, you know, Coach Sela, he goes up to New York. They promoted him to defensive coordinator. And, look, they back in the freaking NFC Championship game. So, I just think that sometimes, you know, when you get to talking about people's resumes, my resume should speak for me. I shouldn't have to say a word. I got to coach Tom Brady. So, if you really want to know about Byron Levels, ask Tom Brady. I mean, we asked Tom Brady about everything else, right? Tom Brady's <laughs> trainer, right? Like we asked, we asked anybody that had anything to do with Tom. And I think, and I think the thing about it is, dude, sometimes we put it so much on what the player did, we forget about who's coaching him. I mean, Byron Leftwich understands the quarterback position, and I think something you said, BJ, we talk about a guy like Trevor Lawrence. Sometimes you bring them in because I'm showing you how to handle the position. I just play it. Like, look, man, just take your time, man. Understand, because because if I've done it, I'm telling you what I've made a mistake with when I back when I was the player here. Even though it's progressed a lot, and I just think that too, Byron Leftwich to me, who is he going to bring on the staff? There are guys out there who are probably incredible coaches that we don't know nothing about because they haven't had an opportunity. So I think because Bruce Arians gave him an opportunity, if he does become a head coach, he'll give other opportunities. And I'm not talking, and I'm not c- talking about you know black guys or white guys, guys that can play in general because. Byron Leffitt got the coach with a with a with a woman in the, in the National Football League. Who's to say he won't bring that to Jacksonville? I hope he gets his opportunity. Yeah, and again, no word on when they're going to do this, but apparently a lot of smoke that they were at least close. Isn't the Senior Bowl coming up in like ten days? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think they would want to have somebody uh, potentially on board uh, by then. Uh, and again, I think Byron Leftwich now obviously more available that the Bucks are out 
of the postseason. So this might be the first opportunity they've really had a chance to get in-depth with Byron Leftwich in the interview process because up until uh, this last weekend, they were still still playing. So I would not be surprised if they get something done, but he appears to be uh, the front runner. And as we said, uh, as I said earlier in the show, I think he is a, a better candidate than if you just want to look at it and say minority candidate. I think he's a better candidate than some of the other guys that have been mentioned. Oh, yeah. uh, the Eric Bieniemy, I think Eric Bieniemy is a great mind. I think for the Jacksonville fit, Byron Leftwich would be a, a guy that just me makes a whole lot of sense. Great resume, like Ben said. I mean, you I mean you've worked with you've worked with Brady. You've won a Super Bowl mm-hmm. in recent years. And, as, a, as a player as well. Yeah. He's yeah. right with the backup as a player. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. As a Super Bowl, has a Super Bowl ring. Pittsburgh, yeah. As a player. So yeah, you're talking about a guy that's done it all, uh, a guy that just has a great resume. Uh I think I think it would really benefit Trevor Lawrence to have a coach in there that's that's done it, that's 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 played the position that's dealt with the expectations in Jacksonville. You know, when Byron Lefwich took over, you were talking about Jacksonville fresh off some deep runs in the playoffs. The expectations were there. So, uh, yes, Kevin, I agree. Great resume. Uh, and I think this is a guy that could really energize the fan base, uh, could really – I mean, Ben, you've said for how, how many years Jacksonville's got to fix its culture. Jacksonville's yeah, got to establish absolutely. a winning culture. That clearly did not happen under Urban Meyer. And I think if you bring in – uh, 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 Byron Leftwich, a chance to kind of change that culture, stabilize that culture, build around Trevor Lawrence, and give fans reason to be optimistic in Jacksonville. I mean, the thing is, too, we, once again, I mean, something I said earlier, Tampa, it's not like Tampa Bay was a powerhouse organization, right? I mean, 2002, you know, they had, look, I mean, look who they had, Derrick Brooks in that defense. You know, I mean, Brad Johnson in that offense, Keyshawn Johnson, I get it, Michael Pittman, and they won it. Hadn't heard from them a while. Then, you know, almost 20 years later, they get, you know, they get another one. They hosted it. And I always look at the coach's staff, not just the head coach. Who do you put around him? Out of everybody he could have when they got to run his offense, he wanted Byron Leftwich. He could have got anybody. He wanted Byron Leftwich. And it, and it proved dividends. Bruce, Bruce Arians, I'm sorry. How many Super Bowls did he have before last year? That would be zero. Mm-hmm. So these guys are attached to the hip forever. I think that at the end of the day, Byron Leftwich will be a you know, home, you know, uh, home run hire for Jacksonville. And it's bigger than just the wins and the losses, man. You want to give these players the best coach to, one, resonate with them is who they are as people, help them become the best players, and then hopefully that'll, that'll translate to some wins on the field. And, again, we'll see what Jacksonville decides to do. We've been hunting around, uh, BJ, because that report came out, and uh, I think some, some of us said, hey, they were close. Then Adam Schefter said, no, they're not close. And we've been trying to see some kind of follow up to that. Nobody's really said anything about yep. something. I mean, with yeah, all I mean, the... you can't just let this go on and on for uh, for 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 too terribly long. You said the Senior Bowl, you kind of send your personnel there uh, to scout. Well, you want to have your draft team. Yeah, yeah, you want to have mean... at least who who you want uh, there evaluating at the uh, at the Senior Bowl. Uh, you know, some of the other stuff probably not as important, but the Senior Bowl, you'd like to at least have a head coach there working with your scouting department, saying this is what I'm looking to do. This is the kind of players I'm looking for. This is what we're looking for out here in practices on the field from some of these guys to uh, to help us find a play. So again, I would think Jacksonville will do this relatively uh, relatively soon uh, when it's all all said and done. So maybe the next couple of days you get something done. I think, as you said, BJ, kind of candidly, the NFL would kind of frown upon that if Saturday Sunday you came out and said, "Hey, we hired Byron Leftwich." Not that it's the yeah. biggest earth shattering news, but typically the NFL is like, 
don't break news while we're trying to put the playoffs on, right? Don't don't take away from the two games it's we Saturday have Saturday right before yeah, the yeah. game. Yeah. Don't say we hired a head coach while we're putting on the conference championship games because we want the conference championship games to be the story of the weekend. And then you can, uh, much like the Super Bowl, yes. you don't break news the week of the Super yep. Bowl, right? Yep. Nobody breaks news the week of the Super Bowl, right? Because it's the Super Bowl, and that is the thing uh, the league wants to put out there. If you want to break news, Monday after the Super Bowl is a great time to do it. Not the day of the Super Bowl, not the week of the Super Bowl. We're hyping up uh, the biggest thing. So I think Jacksonville will get something done here relatively soon. we got so much more to get to here on this Wednesday. If you missed it earlier, had a great conversation with Tony Richardson, uh, former Kansas City Chief. We'll hear from him uh, if you missed that from way back in the first hour as Kansas City. What a a story. They continue to be uh, here in the National Football League. And is that kind of the new dynasty in the making, potentially, there in Kansas City? We'll hear from Tony Richardson when we return. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live ESPN Coastal Dot com on your mobile device with the ESPN app. Don't go anywhere. More to come. Three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Tony Richardson joining us next here on the show.